Blog Talk Radio. too much to do uh business has been just uh basically roaring here and it was so much that i couldn't keep up with it uh, but i hope you are doing very well and where's my theme at hmm. i thought i had it in here there it is there we go <clears throat> okay you know i like a little music to kick things off so anyway yes i was gone last week you have my sincere apologies too busy, just couldn't get it done, and actually I was too disgusted. I mean, I, I know all of you are so disgusted right now, it's just pathetic. And yes, Judge Moore lost, and now we have all the excuses coming out. Some of them are valid, some probably not so much. Uh, we know what the problem with Moore was. Um, the problem was the Democrats pulling that uh, sexual stuff out. And, uh, and playing with it in their, uh, their little um, wicked sand pile. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just, you don't know. You don't know whether any of this stuff was true or not. It seems very odd that they come out 40 years freaking later when you look back at Clinton and notice that, you know, his was pretty instantaneous. Um, so anyway, we lost that one. But don't listen to them about the House. Don't listen to them about the Senate and all of this nonsense. I don't see us losing those things, okay? I don't I don't see us losing the House. I don't see us losing the Senate. As a matter of fact, we're talking about really realistically picking up seats, and this doesn't even assume what may happen as we go forward. There's going to be a lot, folks, a lot of revelations coming out. I'm going to tell you what. In this show, just sit back, and I'm going to use every bit of energy I have left uh, to... to to just crank out where we are within uh, this crazy mess uh, that, that is politics in the United States of America, but folks, this is spreading across the planet, and that's what we're going to talk about at least a little bit. We are winning this war, but it doesn't seem like it sometimes, does it, right? And see, people are so worried about Trump and getting impeached and all of this the sexual crap that's coming out. They're trying to smear him again. But as Hillary Clinton is so fond of saying, we've already litigated that. It's in the past. He got elected with everybody knowing all of that stuff. So therefore, according to Hillary's rules and the Democrats, it's out of play. It's gone. So, without further ado, I want to um, 
I want to uh, remind you of something because this has really been coming to the forefront as we watch events transpire. And tonight we're going to be talking about true fascism, what it actually is and where it comes from, a little bit of help to Nesh D'Souza. And then we've got the secret, the ultra-high, top-secret, extremely powerful political party that is operating behind the scenes. Have you guessed what it is yet? Oh, it's a party, but it's a party that you can't say that you belong to. I want to discuss that. Trump accusers paid $200,000. Bill O'Reilly's dropping that bomb. We're going to hear what he has to say. Got a lot of videos. Got a lot of news. Got a lot of stuff that you may not have heard. Uh, articles that I have written, uh, several of which since I uh, once again missed out last week. Uh, but, you know, four years, you got to take a break at some point. So, and probably, I mean, we do have regular listeners that probably notice it. And once again, I apologize, but man, I need a break at some point. And like I said, we were on fire. I was working until 8 o'clock. Finally, this week, it's let up a little bit so that I would have time to put all this stuff together and kick out a, uh, a information chalk show uh, from somebody who's not getting paid to do this stuff, folks. Uh, just from a, a very highly concerned uh, Christian patriot, I guess you could call me, although that would, uh, that would uh, what, cause goose pumps to raise the hackles on so many Democrats, right? Uh, get these witches talking about a hex or something, you know? So uh, just a, a lot of things. But once again, I want to remind you of this thing I often play uh, just to get you. Now, this was back in 05 and 07 when this came out. And, and when we get into these kind of times, we look at what Trump did with Jerusalem, and we're going to look at some of the, you know, the all of the, oh, my God, they're going to attack all the, you know, it, it's so fascinating, so fascinating that the Mideast, the, you know, the Mideasterners and the Muslims, they were all complaining, well, you can't do that. Everybody's going to get really mad. Folks, they passed this back in, what, 1995? They passed a law. It was a law. And it was a law that presidents somehow, I don't know how they did it, you know, they just waived the law, sort of like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. They had Clinton do it. Yeah, he waived the law. They had Bush do it. He waived the law, the law to make Jerusalem the capital of Israel. Each one of them talked about it. Each one of them put, pitched it as a campaign theme. And each one that got into the office, well, the deep state said, we don't think so. And they said, oh, okay. Well, I don't want to make you mad or anything. The chief executive of the United States, the leader of the free world, I'll bet you don't, don't doubt me on that. It was a deep state. There's no doubt about it. So anyway, so much stuff to go over. So let's kick it off. I do want you to hear what modern-day, uh, um, now the late Kim Clement stated back in 05, 07, and really right on up through uh, 2016 before he passed, right just a few days after Trump was elected. A fascinating story. This that shall take place shall be the most unusual thing. A transfiguration. A going into the marketplace, if you wish, into the news media, where Time Magazine will have no choice but to say what I want them to say. Newsweek, what I want to say. What I want to say. Trump shall become a trumpet. 
says the Lord, Trump shall become a trumpet. I will raise up the Trump to become a trumpet and Bill Gates to open up the gate of a financial realm for the church, says the Lord. I will not forget 9-11. I will not forget what took place that day. And I will not forget the gatekeeper that watched over New York who will once again stand and watch over this nation, says the Spirit of God. It shall come to pass that the man that I place in the highest office shall go in whispering my name. But God said when he enters into the office, he will be shouting out by the power of the Spirit, but I shall fill him with my Spirit when he goes into office and there will be a praying man in the highest seat in your land. There will be a praying president, not a religious one, but I will fool the people, says the Lord. I will fool the people. Yes, I will. God says, the one that is chosen shall go in and they shall say, he has hot blood. For the Spirit of God says, yes, he may have hot blood, but he will bring the walls of protection on this country in a greater way and the economy of this country shall change rapidly, says the Lord of hosts. Listen to the word of the Lord. God says, I will put at your helm for two terms. A president that will pray, but he will not be a praying president when he starts. I will put him in office and then I will baptize him with the Holy Spirit and my power, says the Lord of hosts. Come on! And there we go. And that, once again, was uh, Kim Clement. And uh, Trey Smith was the one who introduced me to uh, Kim Clement uh, some time ago. And I've been running his... uh, This is a fascinating thing to me because it was over, folks, it was over 10 years. It was over a decade ago. It was even before Obama when we started hearing about this uh, from Kim Clement. And... Uh, lo and behold, uh, as it came out, now you know people are learning of it. We're trying to push it and let people know about it because it is a fascinating thing. You have to admit that he got it dead on, and it's just incredible. So, uh, having said that, now let's pop into the show. Now, one of the things that I wanted to uh, quickly hit is um, so many stories, but but we had this one about uh, uh, back in December. We have uh, the deputy AG asking about the Russian meddling uh, timeline from Trey Gowdy. And I I wanted you to hear this exchange because I find it fascinating. Now, this is Rosenstein. And uh, uh, today we uh, understand the news story. I'll I'll probably get to that real quickly. But the news story that Rosenstein, oh, there's nothing wrong with the Mueller investigation. Oh, there's no favoritism. There's none of that. And most of you already know all of the uh, conflicts of interest that uh, truly exist in this thing. And these conflicts are getting worse and worse. We are uncovering so many many webs of connection into the Democrat Party, uh, surrogates of Hillary Clinton and the deep state, and what they have been doing. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And some of these stories that I'm going to be relating to you are incredible, okay? But once I get through with all this, I'm going to try to get through every bit of it. We've got some pretty wild stuff in the second half of the show. Um, You'll at least have a good feel for what in the world is happening in America. So first, uh, 
let's take a listen to this exchange between uh, Trey Gowdy, uh, and maybe I should skip down to that part uh, of the uh, of the newscast, okay, before uh, I let you hear this. Let's see, Sorenstein. Well, uh, maybe not. Uh, I've got so many stories in here, it's going to be hard to, to pinpoint it, unless I sit here and... Uh, um, go uh, 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 the entire time because I've got this. This thing is just racked full of, <laughs> of so many new. Now, if you want to follow along or if you want to see some of this stuff, and and source it, you should source everything that you hear. Okay. Um, but if you want to source this, you can come to conservativerefocus.com in the news section. Okay. And uh, or come to CR Radio. It's in several different sections at the website. And once again, we've been having a lot of trouble with Facebook, uh, more so than I've ever seen. They've been blocking us. Now, uh, lately, the uh, last few days it's opened up, and I've been able to get some stuff out. But they are truly blocking me. And, folks, I wrote the first story on Facebook's bias against conservatism. It was one of our, um, I don't know what you, it was one of our uh, preeminent articles of all time. It was incredible how that thing was shared because so many people didn't know that much about it. They knew there was an issue, but they didn't know what the, you know, the bona fide, the guts of the issues were, okay? And uh, I sort of uh, threw a source, 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 all of these various Facebook sources, and then then delving into why Facebook was the left-wing deep state's uh, um, tool, okay, to, to lead Obama to victory, and you know, I should point out that back in those days, that Obama was the first president to ever use a social media. Now, just to refer, did you ever, did you ever, at any point in that time frame, did you ever hear of anybody complaining of how Obama used social media? You didn't, did you? But now that Trump is using Twitter and all the complaints and. Uh, the people who hear the complaints from the so-called experts, uh, pundits, etc., out there in the media, and they, oh well, that, yeah, I think I agree with that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, because remember, here's the thing: if you look back all the way from 08 to 2016, the entire media was in Obama's back pocket. I mean, they were humping his legs, they were hanging all over him, and uh, you know, they were, they were. They were whining about access, and uh, Obama was continually uh, backing off and, and you know not holding conferences, not talking about anything, uh, keeping everything very one of the most opaque uh, administrations in U.S. history. That's I mean the New York Times was writing about that. Uh, a guy probably they got fired from the New York Times because he was writing about that. But nevertheless, yes. Uh, one of the most opaque, and you you know of the stories of them uh, uh, actually hacking into uh, Cheryl Atkinson's computer. I believe it was at NBC News. She was writing stories. Uh, Isakoff, one of the uh, uh, another preeminent journalist, uh, one of the true ones. At least the last time I looked, you know things change, don't they? Um, he was another one that was reporting it, and I think he got fired or was let go or somehow transitioned away from NBC News. They do, they're all over the place, you know. Uh, and then the bugging of the AP building, then you have the bugging and the uh, 
the uh, the investigation of uh, another preeminent journalist, James Rosen. We have a story from him tonight. Uh, there's so many stories out here. The way they were, uh, somebody was pumping into my computer and checking out everything in the uh, conservative refocus website. Um, and like I said, I have backed off. I'm not doing as many stories uh, as I used to. That doesn't mean I've stopped. Uh, I have slowed down because look, I mean, everything I was the last 10 years shooting for, I have realized. I mean, I have seen it happen. It's been done, and it, I hated uh, this whole movement my own infinitesimal way. But it takes it takes an army um, of patriots uh, doing this stuff, paving the way for Trump uh, to to become president. As and it was so funny too. I was watching. I think it was on Laura Ingram's show last night. I have to mention this before I move into this story. But I was there was a, a left winger and a some a somewhat establishment quasi establishment guy. And she was interviewing them and about, you know, just things in general going on in politics, specifically uh, President Trump. And the left-winger, uh, the guy, he was a black guy, I forget his name, he's on, their, he's on Fox frequently. And uh, I think he has his own radio show. But this, this is the thing about these idiots with these radio shows, uh, present company accepted, because I know my stuff, but... <laughs> This guy actually stated, anybody can tell you out there, I mean, even Roger Stone will tell you, I know my stuff. Uh, by the way, I watched uh, the Netflix thing on Roger Stone. If you haven't seen it, I'll tell you, I had a half a smile on my face watching this. This guy is brilliant, but he's, and he's, you know, he's commenting on my Facebook page for a conservative focus page. You can go and look at it. You might have to dig around a little bit, but on a lot of stories, he's, you know, saying things like, I love the Constitution and all this. I love Roger Stone. But I, it is, it was eye-opening when I watched this thing on Netflix, and you can find it up, but it's just, you know, search for Roger Stone uh, in Netflix, and you'll find him. And, uh, folks, you've got to watch this because it gives you so much insight into some of the things that went on during the campaign. But I, I kid you not, a lot of it was kind of negative. A lot of it was really negative, but a lot of it was, you know, really uh, marking how – brilliant this guy's now his son is here in charlotte he ran for mayor uh mr stone did and i don't know maybe that's how roger stone found me i don't know but all of a sudden i mean the guy had been remarking on my page for six months right or maybe more 12 months and um on the on the conservative focus facebook page and i didn't i saw his name i thought oh that's one of those imposters whatever and um, and for a long time, I just completely ignored it, or we commented together on things. And uh, and then, lo and behold, one day, finally, because I get a lot of this, one day, finally, I clicked on his link, and lo and behold, it went right to his Facebook page, and it was a confirmed, in other words, it was a professionally uh, affirmed by Facebook to be Roger Stone. It flipped me out. And then you go back and look in history about this guy. It's incredible. He was running campaigns for Reagan for Bush, for Nixon, folks. And he doesn't look that old, but... And then he's got some really crazy stuff. I mean, he did it for, what's his name, uh, Dole. Remember uh, Dole when he ran? Well, uh, Roger Stone was in charge of his campaign. And he actually had... And, I, you know, of all the stories that I've covered, I didn't know this either. But he actually... Uh, he was he started one of the... Uh, Really, it was called Nick Pack. It was one of the first packs ever in the United States, okay? And that's what sort of uh, eventually transmogrified into super packs, right? 
of, of the modern day, but he actually started a lobbying firm after helping these guys become president. He would turn he turned around. He, Paul Manafort, and uh, Atwater. I mean, Atwater was a uh, a powerful right wing player back in the day, and one other guy. Uh, they all started a lobbying firm, and it was with Manafort and Roger Stone. So that's, that's, there's your Manafort-Roger Stone connection, because I didn't know about this, honestly. Uh, I'm too busy covering politics and things to, to get into the uh, into the guts of some of these uh, you know, amazing individuals. Uh, but uh, And then, you know, there's some sordid sex stories. You wouldn't believe these. You know, he has a beautiful wife. Well, she's a part of those stories. Uh, but and you're going, holy crap, you know. Uh, but all in all, you got to watch it, you know, um, and and understand the impact of this individual. It's a, it's extraordinary. It's profound. What kind of impact? He, and he really gets short shrift on it. He really does. So and there were some things. I mean, I can tell you, I disagreed uh, with Roger Stone on, but I can disagree with somebody and still like the heck out of them. You know, it doesn't. It's just you know. Uh, I, I don't carry this uh, persona around, this conservative persona around, and beat people over the head with it. That's not the way it works. But you know, if, if they they want to have a conversation about politics, I am more than happy to oblige them for the most part. But there is, you know, sometimes it's like when you're talking to thousands of people at one time, uh, and then you have to have a mini conversation where you get into a debate. And sometimes an argument is like, you know, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, this is not having much of an impact. You know, I'll say it, say it, you know, tell them what I think, give them the background. Uh, but then there are others who are very savvy in my business network that I speak with. And it's always good to talk to them uh, because they, I'm getting the feel for what is going on in real America, okay, which no journalist, for the most part, uh, can ever touch because they're just not, they're not talking to these everyday consumers and business types uh, without any pretension, you see. Uh, well, there is no pretension. There is just discussing the stuff, and that's what gives me sort of a an insight into what is actually happening, and it is fascinating stuff. But anyway, back to my original story. You know, I love to digress and get, to, get fractalized out uh, into all sorts of different areas, but these two guys were discussing it, and the, the black guy, the Democrat, yeah, Democrat. I could just say the Democrat, but the he's a black Democrat. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's not unreasonable. Okay, there are those who are completely unreasonable. You know that. But he says, well, you know, uh, I think Trump comes in on the, uh, you know, the he's he's on the the left of the establishment, and I started laughing. Okay, I mean, I really started laughing uh, that this guy thought that that Trump was on the left of the establishment. I'm like, you are out. You don't know what you're talking about. And then the uh, the quasi-establishment guy, I, I don't remember these people's names. I had never seen the other one before, and I don't remember their names because I don't think it's important. But in this exchange on Ingram, many of you probably already know what I'm talking about. Um, the other guy says, well, yeah, I'm not sure where he comes at. You know, I don't know if he is... Uh, uh, kind of left of the establishment, or the establishment, or is he on the conservative side? And I just, I was like, okay, you're supposed to be a Republican expert, and you don't even know, folks. Let me just say, Trump is the. I'm going to say it now, and I've said it before. He is the conservative's conservative. I mean, he he blows past all this globalist rhino Republican bullshit. Okay, 
And it's why he became elected. I mean, look at his stance on the border wall. Look at his stance on trade. That is not, it is not a conservative position to promote free trade when there is no freaking free trade. When you have communist states propping up state-owned uh, uh, corporate entities, yes, uh, that's what's actually happening. You've got subsidized entities all throughout the socialist EU, okay? Uh, and it's not a fair game at all. And then you have the, uh, you know, the workarounds, which are, you know, dem- sneaky Democrats, sneaky leftists, always finding a way, uh, but it's an illegal way, but always finding a way around the rules. I mean, we created rules, but mostly in large part because of the left, not the freaking right, although the right has played a role. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to go back and look. But, you know, rules and regulations are put into place for several different reasons. This is never quite the ones that you think it should be. But one is when some something is not right and it's con- consistently done in a not right manner, uh, laws get created because of these putzes trying to get around them. And uh, in some cases it's valid, but in most cases it's not really the way you should be treated. And then you have you know the, the globalist uh, corporations, these humongous big corp uh, in uh, secret league with the U.S. government, we call them crony capitalists, okay? And they have their lobbyists uh, giving senators and Congress people all sorts of crazy money uh, and writing uh, new laws in order to minimize their smaller business competition. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's more regulation for them to wade through, but it gives them a huge advantage because they can afford wading through all of the red tape okay so in other words the uh in, in so many of these cases you th- you think it's the government doing but it, but in fact it is big corporate big corp itself doing it and then you have the media egging it on and the media is in total and complete control and cahoots with the u.s government at least the deep state side of it the cia etc uh you can go to operation mockingbird to find that bit of information and then then you understand that about all of these media outlets are owned by six major corporations. That is the truth. I've researched it. It's back back there in one of the shows. So anyway, I mean, it's just crazy. So, so you have these experts that don't know what the hell they're talking about, is my point. I mean, these guys couldn't figure out, well, I think Trump's uh, left, of, uh, left of the establishment. I'm, I'm laughing. The other guy says, well, I don't know where he comes in. I don't know if he's the establishment. I don't know if he's left. I'm like, you idiot. He is, on the, he is in the conservative insurgent side. What the heck? I mean, these people don't pay attention. They're stupid. So, but we do have more. We've got the secret political party. I'm going to get into this. But first, we're going to talk about fascism. But before we do that, I do want to hear you to hear this exchange. It's crazy. Uh, or not crazy, but it tells you sort of where we were and all this. Now, once again, this is between Representative Trey Grouty uh, from, uh, in Congress and his meeting with Sorenstein back in December where they're talking about the Russian meddling timeline. And I want you to hear what was said back in that time. Okay? Hang tight. Um, but when I go home to South Carolina this weekend, trust me when I tell you, no one is going to ask me about any of those issues. They're going to ask me, what in the hell is going on with the Department of Justice and the FBI? The reason we have special counsel, this is a very important point, and you know it, the reason we have special counsel is because of a conflict of interest. The regulation itself specifically makes reference 
to a conflict of interest. And, and we don't like conflicts of interest because it undercuts people's confidence in both the process and the result. So, so let's be really clear why we have special counsel. It was either a real or perceived conflict of interest that we were fearful would either impact the result or people's confidence in the process. That's why we have something called special counsel, and that's why we have special counsel in this fact pattern. And then lo and behold, uh, those who are supposed to make sure there um, are no conflicts of interest seem to have a few of their own. Uh, there's a senior prosecutor who sent obsequious emails to a fact witness. I, she can be described as nothing other than a fact witness. She's a really important fact witness if you pursue the line of inquiry that my Democrat friends want to pursue. They got off of collusion, and now they're on obstruction of justice. She may be the most important fact witness in an obstruction of justice case. And the senior prosecutor for this conflict of interest-free special counsel sent a fawning, obsequious email to a fact witness. And then we have prosecutors assigned to conduct. Okay, now make sure you understand this. I'm sorry, this was today. This is December 13 of 2017. This was between Gowdy and Rosenstein, okay? So I, I don't think I made that clear. Maybe I flubbed it. I, I can't remember what I said. But... Remember, this is today, so let's, let's proceed. This investigation, who donated almost exclusively to one candidate over another, and then we have a prosecutor assigned to this conflict of interest-free team that attended what was supposed to be, what he'd hoped to be, a victory party for Secretary Clinton. And we have a senior DOJ official, Mr. Deputy Attorney General, with an office that used to be two doors down from yours meeting with Fusion GPS, and Fusion GPS, of course, was paying for Russian dirt on the very person that they're supposed to be objectively investigating. And then that same senior DOJ official's wife, the one that met with Fusion GPS, his wife was on the payroll of Fusion GPS. And then we have a senior agent assigned to investigate Secretary Clinton's email, help draft the exoneration letter where we change the language from grossly negligent to extremely careless. Interviewed Secretary Clinton in an interview I've never seen, and I doubt you have either in your career as a prosecutor. Interviewed Michael Flynn, who was actively involved in the investigation into the Trump campaign before the Inspector General found his text. So this agent in the middle of almost everything related to Secretary Clinton and President Trump sent pro-Clinton texts, anti-Trump texts to his paramour in response to being told maybe he is where he is to protect the country from that menace, Donald Trump. He said, I can protect our country at many levels. And then he said Hillary Clinton should win $100 million to nothing. Now, think about that, Mr. Deputy Attorney General. That's a pretty overwhelming victory, $100 million to zero. And, and when I read that last night, what I thought was this conflict of interest free, senior agent of the FBI can't think of a single solitary American who would vote for Donald Trump. That's where the zero comes in. Not a single solitary American he can imagine would vote for Donald Trump. This is the conflict of interest free 
special agent assigned. And then he went on, if that weren't enough, to belittle Trump supporters by saying he could smell them at a Walmart in Virginia. This is the person we needed to avoid a conflict of interest. And then he said this, they fully deserve to go and demonstrate the absolute bigoted nonsense of Trump. But he wasn't content to just disparage Donald Trump. He had to disparage Donald Trump's family. This is what he said, Mr. Deputy Attorney General. He said, the douchebags are about to come out. He's talking about our first lady and children. This conflict of interest-free special agent of the FBI. This is who we were told we needed to have an objective, impartial, fair, conflict of interest-free investigation. So he's openly pulling for the candidate he had a role in clearing, and he's openly investigating a candidate that he has bias against. And then if that's not enough, he says, Trump is an effing idiot. What the F just happened to our country? This is the same man that said he would save our country. What happens when people who are supposed to cure the conflict of interest have even greater conflicts of interest than those they replace? Well, I, that, that, that's not a rhetorical question. You nor I nor anyone else would ever sit Peter Strzok on a jury. We wouldn't have him objectively, dispassionately investigate anything knowing what we know now. Why didn't we know it ahead of time? And, and, and my last question, my final question to you, and I appreciate the chairman's patience, how would you help me answer that question when I go back to South Carolina this weekend? Congressman, uh, first of all, with regard to the special counsel, uh, Mr. Strzok was already working on the investigation when the special counsel was appointed. The appointment that I made was of Robert Mueller. And so what I'd recommend that you tell your constituents is that uh, Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray are accountable and that we will ensure that no bias is reflected in any of the actions taken by the special counsel or in any matter uh, within the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice. When we have evidence of any inappropriate conduct, we're going to take action on it. Uh, and that's what Mr. Mueller did here. As soon as he learned about this issue, he took action. Uh, and that's what I anticipate that uh, the rest of our prosecutors, our new group of U.S. attorneys, our Justice Department appointees, uh, they understand the rules and they understand the responsibility to defend the integrity of the department. And if they find evidence of improper conduct, they're going to take action. So, Congressman, that's the best assurance I can give you. Uh, but actually, there's one other point, which is uh, you should tell your constituents that we expose this issue because we're ensuring that the Inspector General conducts a thorough and effective investigation. And if there is any evidence of impropriety, he's going to surface it and report about it publicly. I'll try. Okay, so now then, I want you to hear this exchange. Okay, hang on. Now, this is from Representative, one of my favorites. Let me kill this. Okay. Now, this is Jim Jordan and his exchange. Uh, between Rosenstein and I, you just heard Trey Gowdy, and uh, hang on a second, there we go, and action, now check this one out. Mr. Jordan, for five minutes. Did the FBI pay Christopher Steele, and was the dossier the basis for securing warrants at the FISA court to spy on Americans associated with the Trump campaign? Really, when you sum it all up, it boils, it boils down to those fundamental questions. Did you pay the guy who wrote it? And did you use what he wrote, disproven, discredited dossier paid for by the Clinton campaign? Did you use it to go get warrants to spy on Americans? That's what it comes down to. And you're the guy who can answer those questions. 
And I was yesterday I was convinced that the answer to those questions was probably yes, but today I'm even more convinced the answer is yes, based on the text messages we got to read early this morning. Mr. Rosenstein, you know Peter Strzok, you familiar with that name? I, yes, I'm familiar with the name. And, or, uh, former Deputy Head of Counterintelligence at the FBI, Peter Strzok, that one? I don't know his precise title, but yes, he had a significant role in Peter Strzok ran the Clinton campaign, interviewed Mills, Aberdeen, Clinton, changed the exoneration letter from gross negligence to extreme carelessness. Peter Strzok, who ran the Russian investigation, interviewed Mike Flynn. Peter Strzok, selected by Mr. Mueller to be on his team. That Peter Strzok, we learned, had all these text messages. We got to read some of them early this morning. Now, as, as my colleagues have pointed out, some of them are, you know, they show he didn't like Trump. He and Ms. Page are exchanging text messages back and forth, show they don't like the president. But that's nothing new. Everyone on Mueller's team, no one on Mueller's team likes Trump. We already knew that. But I want to focus on one in particular. One in particular. And this, uh, this is a text message from Mr. Strzok to Ms. Page recalling a conversation and a meeting that took place in Andy, uh, Andrew McCabe's office, deputy director of the FBI, recalling a meeting earlier. And Mr. Strzok says this, I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office. And there's a break. Dash, it says that there's no way he gets elected, no way Trump gets elected. He says, I want to believe that. You said that in the meeting in Andrew McCabe's office. I want to believe that. But then he goes, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. Now, this goes to intent. He says, we can't take the risk. Of, you know, the people of this great country might elect Donald Trump president. We can't take this risk. This is Peter Strzok, head of counterintelligence at the FBI. This is Peter Strzok, who I think had a hand in that dossier that was all dressed up and taken to the FISA court. He's saying, we can't take the risk. We have to do something about it. Now, don't forget the timeline here either, Mr. Rosenstein. Peter Strzok, January 10th, he's the guy who changes the exoneration letter from gross negligence, criminal standard, to extreme carelessness. July 2nd, he's the guy who sets in on the Clinton interview. July 5th, 2016, that's when Comey has the press conference says, we're not going to prosecute. Clinton's okay, we're not going to prosecute. And then August 2016, we have this text message. The same month that the Russian investigation is opened at the FBI. August 2016. And my guess is that's the same month that the application was taken to the FISA court to get the warrants to spy on Americans. Using this dossier that the Clinton campaign paid for, Democrats paid for, fake news, all dressed up, taken to the court. So I got really just a couple basic questions. Because it seems to me if the answer to any of, these, of those two questions, if the answer is yes, if you guys paid Christopher Steele at the same time the Democrats in the Clinton campaign were painting, or if you took the dossier, dressed it all up, took it to the FISA court, and used that as the basis to get warrants, and now we have intent in this, in this text message saying, there's another text message my colleague referenced it earlier, where Mr. Strzok says, I can protect our country at many levels. Says it with all the humility he could muster. I can protect our country at many levels. This guy thought he was Super Agent James Bond at the FBI. This is obvious. I'm afraid we can't take that risk. We can't, there's no way we can let the American people make Donald Trump the next president. I gotta protect our country. This is unbelievable. And I'm here to tell you, Mr. Rosenstein, I think the public trust in this whole thing is gone. So it seems to me you got two things you can do. 
You're the guy in charge. You're the guy who picked Mueller. You're the guy who wrote the memo saying why he needed to fire Comey. You're the guy in charge. You could disband the Mueller special prosecutor, and you can do what we've all called for. Appoint a second special counsel to look into this, to look into Peter Strzok, Bruce Orr, everything else we've learned in the last several weeks. Yes, Congressman, and uh, I can assure you that I consider it very important to make sure a thorough review is done. Uh, and our inspector general is doing a thorough review. That's how we found those text messages as part of that review. Let me, you've, you've given that answer like 15 times. Let me ask you this. Are you concerned? I mean, this is what a lot of Americans are believing right now, and I certainly do. That the Comey FBI and the Obama Justice Department worked with one campaign to go after the other campaign. That's what everything points to. Think about what we've learned in the last several weeks. We, we first learned they paid for the dossier. Then we learned about Peter Strzok. And last week we learned about Bruce Orr and his wife, Nell. I mean, this is unbelievable. So what's it going to take to get a second special counsel to answer these questions and find out, was Peter Strzok really up to what I think he was? I, I think it's important to understand, Congressman, we have an inspector general who has 500 employees and a $100 million budget. Uh, and this is what he does. He investigates allegations of misconduct involving department employees. That review that he is conducting is what turned up those text messages. It will also involve interviews of those persons and of other witnesses. And we're looking forward to his report. And we've met with Mr. Horowitz, and we're anxiously awaiting that report. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that the country thinks we need a second special counsel. Twenty members of this committee, the Judiciary Committee, with primary jurisdiction over the Justice Department, thinks we need a second special counsel. All kinds of senators think we need a special counsel. <coughs> what fact pattern do you have to have? What kind of text messages do you have to see before you say it's time for a second special counsel? I want to assure you, Congressman, I think the Attorney General explained, we take very seriously the concerns of 20 members of this committee or one member of this committee, but we have a responsibility to make an independent determination, and we will. Uh, thank you, Chair. Okay, so there, there goes that. Uh, just an incredible series of exchanges between some of our top uh, conservative congressmen and... Um, A.G. Rosenstein, and there's quite a few more if you want to go look at them because uh, I, I saw yes, uh, I saw several. Uh, there's really and truly, folks, there is a serious problem here. And uh, it doesn't sound that now, you know, the thing is that the inspector general, they just present um, the, they basically just present the argument, okay? They present the evidence. And it's up to other people to decide, to decide what they want to do with it. And you saw when we had the Inspector General's report on the Tea Party targeting. Remember what happened? Uh, Lois Lerner pled the fifth, got a huge vacation, got uh, you know put, and now she doesn't want any of the uh, evidence, any of the transcripts disclosed because she's afraid for her security. She's afraid for her life. Uh, she didn't seem too worried about all of those people that she was targeting and what it might do to their lives, did she? Now she's just concerned about her own uh, selfishness, basically. Uh, and, and you saw, though, what happened when the, when the IG sat there and said, look, we've got some serious targeting going on. And then we had a letter from uh, the big I, RS, saying, yeah, okay, we screwed up, we did these things. But nothing happened. Nothing happened. Not a thing. What, who went to jail? 
Lerner got dismissed, but what happened after that? No heads rolled. Nobody was accountable. I mean, and there were more actors in this than just that, let me just say. So, you know, the the question is, will anything be done? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, and we don't know. But now I'm, I'm going to move on down because there's so much here uh, that we've just got to get into it. And, and, you know, one of the things that we're looking at is this fascism thing and its political origins. And when you hear these two congressmen talking about what Peter Strzok stated about Trump, you're going, well, why would he say that? This is a viewpoint, because remember, the conservatives uh, justifiably felt much the same way about Obama. And then you see all of the crazy, extreme things that Obama did during his administration. It's incredible stuff. I mean, pallets of cash to Iran, massive amounts of money to Iran to keep them. Oh, by the way, i got a clip of that. You want to hear it? Here, here is Obama on 60 Minutes. Now, I want you to preface this by looking at, and yeah, I've got a ton of clips because it tells the story so wonderfully. Okay, but here, here is Obama. Now, you know what's happened with ISIS. It's gone. Trump said, the minute I get in there, we're taking them out. Look at what happened, man. They're gone. And you, you don't think uh, the Trump administration, uh, they basically un, unshackled our troops. And, uh, and, yes, they've been in there. They've been in all over Iraq. They've been in Syria, Afghanistan. They've been taking this fight, but they, they have unshackled them. There are no, uh, no oh, you got to check with us before you engage. I mean, back in the day, I remember writing the story about Trump blocking anybody, okay, like a pilot would be have have somebody zeroed in on his reticule, and uh, oh no, Obama, you got you got to call Obama and ask him if if he, if he can get weapons free, and I'm sure half the time he didn't. They were dropping pamphlets on ISIS um, uh, areas of um, encroachment. They were dropping pamphlets, telling them, hey, we're going to bomb you in about you know about about half a day or so. So might won't get the, get the hell hell out of there. Pardon my language. But, I mean, this is a kind of nonsense. It's treasonous nonsense. I mean, you, the whole point is to kill the enemy. That's what they're trying to do to us. And But Obama, we all know, was an Islamist from, from the get-go. He is one of the chief apologists for the Islamic movement. And remember, he's doing his little shadow tour across Europe. I think he's done. I hope so. Uh, uh, trying to, um, without any authority backing him whatsoever, beyond the fact that he's a former president. He has no authority beyond that. Uh, you know, meeting with all these world leaders, the, the, essentially the same ones that, that Trump just met with a few weeks back. It's incredible. But here he is. This is a, the difference. Now, ISIS is all but gone after Trump has been in office for, what, nine, ten months? Okay, ten, eleven months, uh, let's just say. Eleven months. They're gone. I mean, we had this thing. This thing goes all the way back to 2012. Oh, they're going to be a serious problem. Oh, it's an end-of-the-world thing, you know. And all of these uh, these generals and everybody flipping out over ISIS and Obama taking some of them behind the woodshed, firing others. He fired Flynn because he, uh, he had the gall to tell the, the president exactly who the enemy is. And we had that story, and people are still going to conservative focus to find it. Um, really good story, by the way because it just lays everything out, but it does so succinctly. But anyway, uh, all of these things happening, and then all of a sudden Trump comes into office, and this problem is, poof, it's gone. How about that? Isn't that 
Isn't that just an amazing turn of events? Was it Trump is such a brilliant military leader that he got this thing done in 11 months? Well, yeah, that's got to be part of it. But but and Mattis and some of the other guys, of course, Secretary of Defense, but you know, the other side of it might be the fact that Obama wasn't really prosecuting the war, was he? Not really. Because remember, PSD-11. Google that. PSD-11. Okay? Google it. If you're sitting at your computer, Google it. Just, just open up another window. Google PSD-11. You'll probably get, like the Washington Examiner, you might get conservative focus, or the Washington Times, one of these. Uh, but it will tell you that it was a secret director from President Obama declaring his backing and support for the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization. Okay? So, I mean, and, and we know all of these things. But anyway, I want you to listen to this 60 Minutes interview and listen to him, go, uh, 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 listen to him stutter. It's funny. Why? <laughs> oh, by the way, this is on my Facebook page under Barry Seegers. You're going to come look at it. I love this exchange, though. It's just a little reminder of what actually took place. CBS's Steve Croft pressed President Obama on his foreign policy shortcomings, labeling his efforts in Syria an embarrassment. You got a half a billion dollars from Congress uh, to train and equip 5,000. And at the end, according to the commander of CENCON, you got 50 people, yeah. most of whom are, right. are dead or deserted. Well, got four, he said four or five left. Steve, this is why... I've been skeptical from the get-go about the notion that we were going to effectively create this proxy army inside of Syria. If you were skeptical of the program to find and identify, train and equip moderate Syrians, why did you go through the program? Well, because part of what we have to do here, Steve, is to try different things. Oh, yeah. I know you don't want to talk about this. No, I, I'm happy to talk about it. I want to talk about this program because... Yeah. It would seem to show, I mean, if you expect 5,000 and you get five, it shows that somebody someplace along the line made some sort of a serious miscalculation. You know, Steve, let me just say this. It's an embarrassment. Look, there is no doubt that it did not work. Croft then put Obama on the defensive by asking him about his leadership in Vladimir Putin. You said a year ago that the United States America leads were the indispensable nation. Um, Mr. Putin seems to be challenging that leadership. In what way? Let, let's think about this. Well, he's moved, let, he's, let, let, he's moved troops into, yeah. uh, into Syria, for one. Yeah. He's got people on the ground. Right. Two, the Russians are conducting military operations in, in the Middle East for the first time since World War II. So that's so bombing that's, the people yeah. uh, that we are supporting. So that's leading, Steve? He's challenging your leadership, Mr. President. No, He's no. challenging your leadership. That, that, Steve, i I, I got to tell you, if, if you think that running your economy into the ground and having to send troops in in order to prop up your only ally is leadership, then we've got a different definition of leadership. My definition of leadership would be leading on climate change and international accord that potentially will get in Paris. My definition of leadership is mobilizing the entire world community to make sure that Iran doesn't get a nuclear weapon. See how that worked. Uh, anyway, just a, fa a, a fascinating exchange, okay? And uh, one other clip. I know, I'm, folks, I am clip rich, and, and then I'm going to get into some of this other stuff here. But I want you to hear, now, uh, this is um, Morgan Freeman, okay? Uh, and, you know, he's a, he's a very uh, well-respected black actor, um, played it. I, I love to watch him act. Uh, 
he's having a conversation. I think it's I think this is Don Lemon, if I'm not mistaken, who was another black fellow. Okay, uh, but I want you to hear this exchange before I move on into some some of these other stories. Check this out. Race plays a part in wealth distribution, or either a mindset that you can't. Today, not, yeah, no, you don't. No, I don't. I don't. You and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick your, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I had a long haul uh, from where I came from to here, but here we are. Right? So proof is in the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and here we sit at the dining table. But it's hard to when you say that to some people because they say, "Oh, there you go with a pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing." And, Respectable. Not everybody can do that. Everybody can. Yeah, you look at all the black millionaires and even billionaires, and uh, you know the, their their arguments fall flat on their face when they start talking about equality. But folks, that is a communist, that is a fascist uh, sort of tool to get the useful idiots into motion. Yes, indeed, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Tonight, with all of these stories, and I'm going to kill that page because it's very distractive. Uh, so uh, let's move into it. Now, one of the things about fascism and its political origins, really nobody can answer the question, can they? Okay? And I've looked at it, and I've tried to explain it so many times, uh, because everything takes on a modern-day sort of uh, spin. I mean, it, it's, it's it, the various ages in which these isms, these ideologies, uh, find themselves uh, ensconced within, uh, differentially reflect what is actually going on, uh, both in the, in, the, in, in the apparatchiks who are facilitating all of these uh, movements, and the age within which they occur. I mean, it, it, because all of these things are different. You have the digital age, you have social media, and so there are, there are news, new ways to embark uh, their message in, in trying to, to split. And you know, the whole point of Marxism is to convert capitalism into communism. Marxism is the theory, and uh, in today, it's raging fascism. Uh, one element of it is they won't let you, they don't want to hear you speak. They attack you like at Berkeley and so many of these other universities, and they can't stand to hear you proffer an argument uh, that is against their, uh, their it's more of a, a mind programming than an ideology, okay? It's just sort of an indoctrination process is what it is. And we see it over and over and over again. And free thought is like a lost talent. You, you're not, that's one of the reasons, I mean, all these conservatives are going, Trump is no free trade. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. We don't really have any free trade. Well, yeah, we do. The U.S. is all about free trade. Well, yeah, we are. But you see, the problem is it's only happening on our side, you know? That's the issue. It's only happening on our side. Nobody else practices it. China, oh, for God's sake, they don't practice it. And, and, and you know, this is, this is the they, – they, they reject that argument. And it's, it's, it's not – well, some of them are just useful idiots, but many of them are see it as – I mean, they're getting rich off of it. They're like the in-between brokers. They facilitate 
the exchange of for product for money, okay? But then they're pocketing a portion of that. That's the thing. And then you know, and, and you you look at the the refugee influx. That's another one. Supply and demand. The more labor you have as a supply, the less the demand is going to be. Therefore, depressing the price of the labor. I mean, this is basic capitalism. It's a funny thing. That most Democrats just don't really get it, do they? Or is it something else? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. But what we see today is this raging fascism, folks. It is an element of totalitarianism. I mean, William Cooper, back before they killed him in a hell of gunfire bullets from the government, uh, he described it as uh, 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 totalitarian socialism, which could be described as fascism, but there is a, a different spin on it. This is why I refer in the title of tonight's show as, as the secret party that's playing everything here in America. And, and you, you heard the... the um, the exchange of, uh, or the, the 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 vocal exchange between Gowdy and between Rosenstein and between, um, uh, who was the other guy? Oh yeah, Jordan and Rosenstein. Those were just two. There's quite a few of them. But the guy was. It was like he was in complete denial. He couldn't even say, "Well, you know what? You're right. There's real problem there, and we're going to have to get to the bottom of what is because." You see, here's the thing. The secret party is ensconced inside of the shadow government itself, okay? But it's not just there. The secret party is also in the Republican Party and also in the Democrat Party, and that's the thing. And we refer to – I don't know if it's all of them, but we refer to the secret party that holds so much power – as the establishment, we refer to it in different things, but we really don't call it what it actually is and what they always try to avoid calling it, and that is the Globalist Party. And the Globalist Party within the United States is very powerful. Uh, Barack Obama was certainly a member. Uh, you've got, uh, I've got a story about the Rothschilds. I've got stories about Soros. Uh, these are guys who, who, who actually call the shots at least as front man, well, I don't know about Rothschilds because he's like, he well, he's the wizard behind the curtain of all of this. But George Soros is their front man. He is their precursor, their spokesman, their out out in front guy. Okay, and he is, folks, the titular leader of the Democrat Party. And when you go and look at some of his recent crimes, it's crazy. Yeah, he is a criminal, international criminal. He is. He's been banned from so many countries. It's pathetic. Um, and he has taken down several different countries' currencies, including Great Britain and Malaysia, uh, through his hedging. Okay, he is the one that made those things happen. Uh, just broke the pa- the uh, the English pound. Okay, it's just crazy. Broke the Malaysian whatever they call that ziggurat or whatever it is. Uh, and there was another country as well. And these these people can't stand this this guy because he is trading in misery. Uh, for wealth, and then what does he do? He turns around and funds his Marxist movement, in essence. But most of his movements are designed in order to upset the political process, in order to cause upheaval, and then he profits from that upheaval, not only in terms of monetary value, but also in terms of ideological value. He said his sole goal was to get the United States out of the way, to bring it down, so that he could install his one-world government system. I mean, this stuff is crazy, but 
That's who he is. He's a Nazi, a Jewish Nazi. When he was a teenager, he was working for uh, the Nazis and, and cleaning out Hungarian houses of Jews and get, sending them on their way to the gas camps while they sold all of the goods within these houses and the houses themselves in order to profit from it. And he was a Jew. He was a, uh, what do they call him? Um, I forget the name of it, but he was a certain type of Jew. Um, Ashkenazi is the name of the Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, and they were, they're not real Jews, basically. They were, um, they were forced into the uh, Jewish sort of um, ideology by virtue of a uh, one of these, um, basically a, a potentate who conquered their territory way back when, okay? And, I mean, this was quite a while back. I, don't, I can't remember the year, but, uh, but when he took over this uh this large amount of territory he forced them to convert to Judaism okay and um and from there they they became known as Ashkenazi Jews so anyway the point is that this this totalitarianism that we're seeing or fascism is a very thing that we have seen from the political left really for the past decade and Obama was the author of it folks uh i mean it was a movement before Obama but Obama was more or less the uh the uh, the titular head in this particular case of this fascist movement, and he was the remember he was the same guy who says you didn't work, you didn't build out you make that happen. He also said yeah we got to spread the wealth we got to spread the wealth distribution yeah we got to we got to take away from the wealthy and give to the poor and uh, that's theft folks that's theft. He's not taking away from kings. He's taking away from individuals who work their tails off. So these efforts, they're trying to strifle uh, free speech along with a war on behalf of an extreme political correctness. You're not allowed to think a certain way. You're not allowed to say certain things uh, at, at, as far as the social process goes. And then you have this heavily financed movement, and the, largely from the DNC, Soros, and the deep state. Of course, yes, they are part of it. These are all parts of this secret party. And once again, the secret party has incurred into the Republican Party, into the Democrat Party, into other areas as well. I mean, these what we call uh, rhinos uh, or uh, globalist Republicans or establishment Republicans, many of these are members. Bill Crystal is a prime example. Hadn't seen his name much, have you? Because he's, he's been found out. We know who he is. Okay. So, but all of this is, is the the whole goal of this is is to go towards an all powerful central world government or globalism, which is the very thing that the, that the deep state here in America has been assembling for at least fifty years now. Okay. Well, what proof of that do we have? Well, let's just take a little walk over here, and I'll show you. Uh, you want to know where is the proof of the 50 years old? Oh, I've got something for you now. I play this from time to time. I'm going to do it right now so that you can hear it. Just bits and pieces of it, uh, folks. This is is this has been going on for a long time. The issue now and why we were be we are beating the hell out of the globalists, folks. This is what's happening. This is a battle for America, and we are winning. Ever albeit so very slowly. And this battle is, 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 has gone from America, and now it's taking place in, in Australia, in Great Britain, all across Europe. And meanwhile, they're countering by forcing all of these uh, refugees 
into these nations, trying to put them in here. At the, uh, and, and this is a U.N.-directed program. Folks, the U.N., I, I don't know who's worse at this point, the U.N. or the E.U. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting to be a toss-up, especially from some of the other stories I'm going to try to get into. But first, let's, uh, here is your proof of this uh, secret uh, organization. And I've, I've taken you to the Illuminati website along with Lee Daniel, and we exposed some of the things that were going on there. But listen to this. Now, this perfectly frames uh, what I'm getting into right now. It takes a few seconds for this to load, but it'll be along in about, uh, let's see, three, two, one, about right now. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. This is and JFK. we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. There you its go. preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people, for I have complete confidence. Kennedy, uh, bless his soul, was just describing exactly what I'm referring to right now. But now you're seeing the fruition of it. You're seeing what these two congressmen were arguing about with Rosenstein. 
you see the deep state uh, trying to take over to the CIA, the FBI, the DOJ. These are all uh, criminally corrupt organizations that have taken control. And these are the same organizations that Trump and, and all of us uh, uh, patriotic citizens of the United States, constitutionally uh, sound citizens, people who believe in every word, both of the Bible and the U.S. Constitution, how it should be, um, how it should be followed to the letter. So, so these these are the things that I wanted to get your attention on to this secret party that exists uh, is 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 sort of a central meeting place in essence is sort of a central meeting of the minds within both the democrat the republican party the deep state the shadow government and all of these various things and folks the deep state and the shadow government are two different things uh, as uh, one high level cia operative who has come out in public we ran a show on that once uh, several times actually he has come out and stated it is two different things. You've got the operatives, and then you've got the controllers, and uh, these guys in the FBI and and uh, in the uh, and the DOJ, uh, they're not just from Obama's regime. These are these are people uh, who have been there for thirty, forty years and know all of the moves. They know the agenda. They you know, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, Bilderbergers. Uh, they're all heaped in together in this uh, club, and uh, many, many of your favorite Congress people, in many cases, whether you be Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, they are members of this club. And the thing to remember, um, ultimately, is the fact that they have an agenda, and it's not an agenda that we citizens would be in favor of. It is an agenda towards an all-powerful central government uh, or globalism, okay? And these, this very thing is one of the main projects of the deep state here in America. So that's what Kennedy was referring to almost, what, 60 to us, that's over 50 years ago, right? And now we're seeing, once again, the fruition of it, the, the uprising. And this is a worldwide revolution that's taking place, but this is why Alex Jones refers to it as 1776, because we're trying to... Uh, we we are a, we are facilitating. Man, I'm using that word a lot. The revolution between the citizens and the deep state and the controllers and the apparatchiks of a world government who are who are firmly ensconced within the U.S. government. This is what Kennedy was referring to. You heard his words, okay? And you can find this on YouTube in many different places, but. That's my point here. I mean, this this thing has been going on for a very long... And really, if you go all the way back, he was talking, and they call it his secret society speech, right? Well, see, those secret societies, the ones that you have heard of, all of these generations, all of these beasts, as the Bible refers to them as, the beast is a governmental system that is non-Judaic. Okay, that's what a beast is, as it's referred to in the Bible. Okay? So... Uh, you've had like eight different beasts, that is eight different world government systems, you know, Medo-Persia, Greek, Roman, uh, uh, Phoenician, um, there are quite a few of them, but one of the final ones was Great Britain, okay, that that was one of the uh, one of the world government systems, okay, and they are still heavily involved 
the organization that they pioneered eventually became the Council on Foreign Relations. And as one of the uh, ex-members relayed to us, he stated that uh, the, the thought of these individuals within this U.S. organization uh, it's not. It's like a political organization, okay. But it, when you say "Make America Great Again," these people get nauseous. Can you believe that? But it's true. Those are his words. Admiral, I think it's David Ward was his name. Been there for 17 years, and he got out of it. And he said, "You know what? This is a bad organization, and their whole goal is this world government thing, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, all of these private foundations." Uh, they got to be the you know these huge companies, the Ford Foundation, all these different ones uh, came into being is not only a way to have profit, but also this they're like Illuminati organizations, folks. That's the thing, New Age movement. Uh, so it's it's all a means to an end, a high percent, a, a goal for, towards you know they want to turn these governments into national, regional governments. And then hyper-centralize them, as Obama was doing, as the first layer of authority, and then go to the overall means to an end, which is denationalizing these nations, which is what is happening in Europe, just deculturalizing them, and they're trying to do it to America. And, and that way you clean the slate and leave the template wide open for the new paradigm, for the new matrix that is overlaid that you must adhere to from this point forward. So it is a globalization agenda. It borrows heavily from Marxist theory. Uh, there's very different, uh, very very little difference between uh, the the communist goals, as I've stated so many times before, okay, and the globalist goals as established by Adam Weiss, as Adam Weishaupt, excuse me, back in 1776, May the first, okay. Same thing. It's almost verbatim. So, yeah, and then then you've got the occult ties uh, into this stuff, and then you've got the fact that all three world leaders during the time of World War II were Freemasons. That's another point of contention right there. How does that happen? Okay. So, but the thing to remember is this is only the beginning. It is an effort that is rooted singularly in seeds in the seeds of the Antichrist movement. That is ultimately what globalism will more or less transform into as we move forward. You can already see the signs, folks. So think about it. The Antichrist movement, globalism, uh, we know just by the words what Antichrist means, okay? And it, it, it has been divulged in all 80% of the prophecies that have come about uh, in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, right? 80% of those, and, and now we've got word that since Trump has made Jerusalem the official capital as far as uh, the leader of the free world is concerned of Jerusalem, okay, Jerusalem, uh, the capital of, of Israel, I'm sorry, is will be Jerusalem. Now they're talking about the, the third temple and building it, okay, and this is what the temple society over there is always. So here's the thing. Once you get to this point, the eschatologist, the... Uh, you know the the guy the the biblical experts, especially on end time, say, well, that's the key right there. Once we see that, that's when all of the that's when the the S hits the fan, as they say. Okay, so when we start to look at what is happening worldwide, we know that the flip side of the coin that is globalist is the Antichrist movement, and then we look at how they're going against the will of their own people. And bringing in refugees, and you know, jailing people that uh, that criticize Islam all throughout Europe—it's happening. That, ladies and gentlemen, 
is global fascism. So we are seeing the first tidings of it right now in the form of this globalist movement. And then you've got these idiots comparing Trump to Hitler. It's insane. I don't know. I don't even know if I want to go through all that. Gutfeld has it, but I've, I've hit so many clips. But while the left, the media, and even Barack Obama have tried to paint President Trump as a fascist, fascist, which is laughable, the truth about fascism and its relation to socialism, uh, you can find it very easily in the annals of history. And now I want to let... Uh, Dinesh D'Souza explained this to you. He does it quite quite brilliantly. And uh, it's insane, but, uh, you know, um, this is, uh, you know, the, the argument is, is, is fascism of the right or left? Well, the, the left maintains that it's always of the right, which is not true. Because any time you ensconce full power within the government necessary to promulgate fascism, Limited government, which is one of the basic elements of the right wing, can't be possible, can it? Think about it. Uh, I mean, what kind of government installs fascism, which is totalitarian socialism, in many ways? Can a can a limited government install such a uh, all encompassing government that 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 is necessary to uh, promote fascism, to promote lockstep, you know, thought lies, all of these various things, political correctness? They're all part of it. Even the climate hoax is a big part of it. Uh, and this is the goal throughout the world. Remember, China is a test tube for this stuff. It's a globalist test tube. They're seeing how you do it and do it right. Okay? And I'll get into some of that here in a little bit. But here's Dinesh, and I want you to hear what he has to say in describing it. And then my take is how it applies to the element of globalism, which is the secret party. Okay, that is present throughout both of our political parties, and once again into the deep state of the U.S. government. Take a listen to this; it's very good stuff. He's a fascist. For decades, this has been a favorite smear of the left, aimed at those on the right. Every Republican president, for that matter, virtually every Republican since the 1970s, has been called a fascist. Now more than ever. This label is based on the idea that fascism is a phenomenon of the political right. The left says it is, and some self-styled white supremacists and neo-Nazis embrace the label. But are they correct? To answer this question, we have to ask what fascism really means. What is its underlying ideology? Where does it even come from? These are not easy questions to answer. We know the name of the philosopher of capitalism, Adam Smith. We know the name of the philosopher of Marxism, Karl Marx. But who is the philosopher of fascism? Yes, exactly. You don't know. Don't feel bad. Almost no one knows. This is not because he doesn't exist, but because historians, most of whom are on the political left, had to erase him from history in order to avoid confronting fascism's actual beliefs. So let me introduce him to you. His name is Giovanni Gentile. Born in 1875, he was one of the world's most influential philosophers in the first half of the 20th century. Gentile believed that there were two diametrically opposed types of democracy. One is liberal democracy, such as that of the United States, which Gentile dismisses as individualistic, too centered on liberty and personal rights, and therefore selfish. The other, the one Gentile recommends, is true democracy, in which individuals willingly subordinate themselves to the state. Like his philosophical mentor... Let me interject something here. 
true democracy is what the founders called uh, a system of total and complete eventual failure, because a true democracy essentially is mob rule. Once the people figure out they can, you know, by by voting their um, by voting uh, in the majority on all things, okay, then, uh, you know, rule by majority takes place, and then you can have all sorts of horrible little things like, you know, racism, um, uh, war on the wealthy. I mean, so you you end up with political class or class struggles, political struggles. Folks, we just got through with Democrat rule, okay, for eight years. And you see the fruition of it. You see the upheaval that it has caused. This is why they're called the Democrat Party. Uh, they they believe in majority rule, okay? And that's uh, that goes completely against the rule of law. So this is why the founders decided against a true democracy and decided for a liberal democracy in the form of a republic. Remember Benjamin Franklin's old saying, "Woman, when he walks outside of the... Uh, Continental Congress meeting, and 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 they've they've, put together uh, what will become one of the most powerful nations in the world uh, by virtue of the type of government, which is ruled by the people, okay? A lady asked him, so so do we have a government? What type of government do we have, basically, is what she asked him. And he says, Madam, you have a republic if you can keep it. And that's the thing, if you can keep it. We're probably closer now than ever before of losing it, okay, with the deep state in control of it. And they go, they don't want a uh, republic. They want something else altogether. They want a hegemonic democracy uh, controlled by deep state oligarchs and, and political power players who are under the control of the deep state, an oligarchy state, much as in Russia right now. So it's a kind of a mock democracy. But this is why they are called Democrats. Did you know that? The the Democrats, I mean, look at, once again, eight years, what we're going through right now, this is because you had a Democrat in control, and Dinesh just laid out the difference, a liberal democracy or a true democracy, which is rule by mob. That's what it is. So I'm going to let him continue now. Here he goes. Karl Marx. Gentile wanted to create a community that resembles the family, a community where we are all in this together. It's easy to see the attraction of this idea. Indeed, it remains a common rhetorical theme of the left. For example, at the 1984 convention of the Democratic Party, the governor of New York, Mario Cuomo, likened America to an extended family, where, through the government, people all take care of each other. Nothing's changed. 30 years later, the slogan of the 2012 Democratic Party convention was, the government is the only thing we all belong to. They might as well have been quoting Gentile. Now remember, Gentile was a man of the left. He was a committed socialist. For Gentile, fascism is a form of socialism. Indeed, its most workable form. While the socialism of Marx mobilizes people on the basis of class, Fascism mobilizes people by appealing to their national identity as well as their class. Fascists are socialists with a national identity. German fascists in the 1930s were called Nazis, basically a contraction of the term national socialist. 
For Gentile, all private action should be oriented to serve society. There's no distinction between the private interest and the public interest. Correctly understood, the two are identical. And who is the administrative arm of society? It's none other than the state. Consequently, to submit to society is to submit to the state, not just in economic matters, but in all matters. Since everything is political, the state gets to tell everyone how to think and what to do. It was another Italian, Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator of Italy from 1922 to 1943, who turned Gentile's words into action. In his Dottrina del Fascismo, one of the doctrinal statements of early fascism, Mussolini wrote, all is in the state and nothing human exists or has value outside the state. He was merely paraphrasing Gentile. The Italian philosopher is now lost in obscurity, but his philosophy could not be more relevant because it closely parallels that of the modern left. Gentile's work speaks directly to progressives who champion the centralized state. Here in America, the left has vastly expanded state control over the private sector, from healthcare to banking, from education to energy. This state-directed capitalism is precisely what German and Italian fascists implemented in the 1930s. Leftists can't acknowledge their man Gentile because that would undermine their attempt to bind conservatism to fascism. Conservatism wants small government so that individual liberty can flourish. The left, like Gentile, wants the opposite, to place the resources of the individual and industry in the service of a centralized state. To acknowledge Gentile is to acknowledge that fascism bears a deep kinship to the ideology of today's left. So they will keep Gentile where they've got him, dead, buried, and forgotten. But we should remember, or the ghost of fascism will continue to haunt us. I'm Dinesh D'Souza for Prager University. And there you go. And so now you can start just to kind of see what kind of now, but, but how does this fit into global fascism? Well, think about it. What they do once they get you uh, hyper, you know, fascist, okay, is they denationalize you and you become a denizen of the world government or the world state, as they say. That's the whole point. So now you're subject to the world government, which is going to be, because it's the world, as they think, it's going to be the ultimate harbinger of wisdom and goodwill. And everybody's going to be equal, okay? So this is the whole point. So. Now they have a global identity as belonging to all of this, and now you've got what could only be described as a potent Antichrist movement because they've got to have an enemy. Who is their enemy going to be? Well, that's going to be the interesting question. But if you look at how they are approaching any kind of Christian, uh, and even except for Islam, other forms of religion, it, it starts to sort of make a good deal of sense. Remember what Hitler said. He said, we are socialists. We are enemies of the capitalist economic system. He is a Nazi. He is a national socialist. We are enemies of the capitalist economic system for the exploitation of the economically weak with its unfair salaries, with its unseemly evaluation of a human being according to wealth and property instead of responsibility and performance. And we are all determined to destroy this system under all conditions. That was Adolf Hitler in May 1st of 1927. These are the very ideals that Alinsky and his disciples, both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, were promoting, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so 
you can start to see now the the modern iteration of fascism as a political identity or ideology is defined in part by the assertion that an individual's exercise of thought and action must be in assemblage, in parity, with the prevailing approved thought process of any given organization, group, or political party. That's fascism. No matter the history, historical extremeness of their universally accepted norms. I mean, I could go through the laundry list. You've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. Of all of these crazy, insane, like 72 freaking sexes. I mean, how do they figure that out? So uh, now when an offender's raised, somebody who offends the state or the accepted uh, social processes, uh, when 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 they when their race or religion falls outside of the normal of uh, the acceptable norms i should say uh for their specific thought crimes then that offender becomes immeasurably more guilty and therefore subject to an even more exaggerated socialized punishment so this is how uh for instance you see how black conservatives or black trump voters are treated by their uh by their uh colleagues, in essence, those people of the same race, same ethnic identity, uh, they look at a, a black who voted for Trump or a black conservative like they're an alien, you know, from some crazy other planet, They're because they're not allowed to have their own thought process. You see, that's the whole thing. You see, you see how this is all working out. So now, with the election of Donald Trump, many Americans breathe a sigh of relief for good reason. Trump is nothing like uh, any of any of, any of that. He is a supreme capitalist. He is a free market aficionado. Okay, so now this is after years of Obama and his socialist Democrat followers planting the seeds of fascist discontent across a wide swath of the U.S. civil society. The battle for America and the survival of the free world. Folks, we haven't won it. We're winning very slowly. But it's still. Look at what they're doing, man. I mean, they're gonna. They're. They're now. They're. They're gonna try to hit Trump with all this sexual nonsense. Okay, it worked on more, uh, and it's worked on so many members that are left. But I think there is some. I don't know. Conjecture, I should say, from some of the, the leaders in conservative thought by stating that oh, this is all planned by the Democrats. No, I don't believe that it was. Look who it started with. If you go back and you look, well, sort of it started with Clinton. But, I mean, you know, why wow, he got one of those Alinsky's in the Oval Office, and he lied about it, and then, you know, that just blew up and all sorts of crazy things. Uh, but you look at who started this in, in the current period, there are two names that come up, and one of them is a big part of the show tonight as far as what we're going to relate. But one significant bit of this evidence, come up, it, it, it was Roger Ailes, right? Actually, O'Reilly was the first one. Roger Ailes was the second one. Those are both... Who? Uh, you know who they are. One of the preeminent conservative news organizations thus far. Kind of establishment, but not completely. Um, that's Fox News. Powerful, the most powerful news organization, the most respected in America. Run by Rupert Murdoch, who, by the way, is a globalist. Go figure that one out. A quasi-globalist, I should say. Yeah, there, there's a story on that. I wrote it a long time ago. Breitbart had it, too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Murdoch believes in open borders, folks, just like the Koch brothers. Yeah, Koch brothers believe in that, too. Oh, yeah, they do. You don't ever hear the Koch brothers talking. And, and remember, the Koch brothers run the establishment, and the Koch brothers are international businessmen, one of the largest privately held corporations, I think number two, if not number one now, in America, 
right? And what do they believe? Oh, they believe in open borders. Yes, they believe in those depressed labor prices. They believe in a host of things that they don't like to admit to. That's why they uh, threatened to vote for Hillary. We really don't know whether they did or not. But uh, one of them, I think it was David Koch, actually stated that, you know, uh, we think Hillary might actually be a better president than Trump. Even though Trump espouses everything that conservative insurgents, uh, those of us who are traditional Americans and want to keep things in the traditional vein, and that has nothing to do with racism, by the way, we were the ones that stopped racism. Go back and look at that famous movie, Lincoln, okay? Go look at the movie done by Spielberg. Watch who is constantly, it's the conservatives within the party, not Democrats. These are Republicans, because so, that, so that kills that Democrat argument. Oh, these are Dixiecrats. They're not the same anymore. No, 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 no. Go look at Lincoln. Go look at that movie. Watch it again with your political mindset, with your political eyes, and see who is pushing to free the slaves. It wasn't the Democrats. It wasn't the Republicans. You, I mean, my God, you should see what Lincoln wanted to do with the slaves once he freed them. He wanted to send them all away. Yeah, oh yeah, you can go look that up. He wanted to send them to an island, send them to uh, uh, Senegal, right? So, um, and, and Freeport, right? I mean, he wanted to send them back to Africa. The conservatives didn't. And the conservatives, just like me today, didn't believe in slavery because it goes against the basic tenets of the Bible. And the funny thing is that all of these signers of the Constitution did not believe in slavery either. They just didn't know how to change it because at the, that time of the, of the uh, historical period, everybody had slaves. And by the way, the Muslims were the ones who facilitated that. Oh, facilitate comes up again. Uh, yeah, the Muslims in Africa and the Mideast, they were the ones who were originally – and they're still enslaving people to this very day, the Islamists are. Now, that's the uh, dirty little secret. We had one CNN story showing it happening. Uh, they were auctioning off black guys, uh, and, and probably black women too, in a marketplace in Africa. I mean, it's insane. So now, one bit of this evidence that I'm referring to right now uh, came from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, okay? And uh, that was the, uh, the, the press for them. Uh, I should say MIT Press. Now, not too long ago, they, recent, they, they published a book titled Communism for Kids. So this sought to indoctrinate America's youth into a system of governments that, folks, has killed over 100 million people in the 20th century. Now, 145 million people uh, have, have died by virtue of their various governments, as opposed to 8.5 million private murders. So who do you think should own the guns? Look, all forms of authoritarianism, whether it be fascism, Marxism, communism, socialism, any of those isms, have been throughout history of the left, not the right, as Dinesh described it. And this bit of truth is the one that the globalists have been trying to hide from you throughout history, now, or at least since the early 1800s. It, and that's when the theories of Marxism, communism, Darwinism, uh, all of these isms, these other isms, these isms of the left, uh, came about. Climate changeism, we should say. So it should be further noted that the U.S. Constitution, as one of the charters of individual freedom, exemplifies a republican form of government rooted in the rule of law that will automatically defeat any impetus towards American totalitarianism, as long as the Constitution is meticulously adhered to, which is why 
Barack Obama and so many on the left have constantly, if not directly, attacked the Constitution. And you say, no, Barack, did a Barack Obama attack it? Oh, hell yeah, he did. I tell you what, let me uh, listen to this. I think we can say that uh, uh, the Constitution reflected an enormous blind spot in this culture that carries on until this day, and, and, uh, and that the framers uh, had that same blind spot. I, I, I don't think the two views are contradictory to say that it was a remarkable political document uh, that paved the way for where we are now, and to say that uh, it also uh, re reflected the fundamental flaw of this country that continues to this day. The fundamental flaw of this country that continues to this day is reflected by the U.S. Constitution, so says Barack Obama. That was him, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you see what I'm saying? You won't find that video if you Google it, I'll tell you that. But that is real, it's true, and that was Barack Obama. And there are many others where he has criticized. He's mocked Christ, he's, he's mocked the Bible, too. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Obama mocking the Bible. So you get that, uh, you, you get that, uh, well, let me play it for you. Here you go. On June 28, Obama. 2006, Senator Barack Obama gave a speech to the Coal to Renewal Conference where he explained why he finds it so difficult for America to use the Bible to help guide our public policy. Which passages of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount? A passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application. Folks haven't been reading the Bible. Senator Obama. Yeah, so uh, you see, now, uh, two very revealing bits of uh, uh, vernacular or rhetoric from Obama, both how he feels about the Constitution and how he felt about the Bible at the time. And I can assure you, with his Islamist apologist agenda, that has only gotten worse. He won't say anything about the Quran ever. If you got it, let me hear it. I ain't never heard of it. So this is the globalist singular agenda, erasing borders across the West. That's what the open borders. That's one of George Soros's major organizations. Okay, they want to do that. They want to increasingly go against the conservative will of the people. That's what's happening in the EU. It's happening in Great Britain. It's even happening in Australia, uh, all over the place. And these are socialists, that, or what we will soon, maybe later, as, as uh, resistors come to, to refer to them as totalitarian socialists or fascists. It's about the same. So this, this constitutes this real-life fascist conspiracy that is taking place. All of this craziness, race wars, all of these things uh, are, are, are a product of fascism that is, that is growing here in America, but particularly in the left wing uh, where it's been sort of uh, nurtured into being by none other than Barack Obama. Isn't that fascinating? And these are, these are all, this is also a... a, a, a uh, a bit of a conspiracy that both the media, as controlled by the deep state and big corp, and the powers that control them, they have forever tried to hide this. And see, this is why we're winning. Because guys like me and, and so many, 
specifically Alex Jones is at the forefront of this. He is the tip of the spear in explaining to people. My, my way of explaining it is are two entirely different things, but it's a two-pronged argument. You can look at it one way or the other. They both tie in pretty nicely. Um, mine's probably just a little bit less over the top, I suppose. But I still love Alex Jones, I'll tell you that. But, you know, the, the elite at present right now are implicitly blaming America's disdain for the WTO. And you can read this in paper after paper. Uh, the World Trade Organization only authorized trade across the planet as a Trump-originated impasse. And yet, you know, free trade is not at all the problem. Uh, especially in the rare instances that it can actually be found. Rather, it's a globalist, fascist-inclined actions. I mean, these multilateral trade agreements that you cannot extricate yourself from as a country. Very difficult once you put it in play because it, it essentially involves a bunch of smaller, less powerful countries ganging up on America. That's, that's who it's geared against uh, in order to cheat the hell out of us, basically, and create an imbalance. Why do you think uh, Mexico and Canada are pretty much lined up on one side and the U.S. is on the other? Shouldn't it be, you know, shouldn't it be America against one or the other? This is what Trump is stating. I mean, when they gang up on you, it's hard to, it's hard to fight them um, when they're aligned with each other uh, in order to gouge out an advantage uh, because it's two-on-one. And that is precisely what's happening with NAFTA. But you see, the problem is uh, they don't have an advantage beyond that one because they have uh, – their trade is, is – they, they don't carry deficits with the U.S. We carry deficits with them. So in other words, uh, they are getting the benefit of these transactions to the tune of billions of dollars. I think there's a trade deficit with Mexico of like $70 billion and uh, one with Canada of something on the order of 10 or 20 billion. It's right in there. And it's funny because Trudeau uh, was was trying to state uh, not too long ago uh, that we were even in trade, but he was leaving out lumber and, you know, certain other things. He was just completely leaving it out. So, oh, yeah, he was right. Hey, they, but, but, but at least he was right until you included everything. And then then the uh, then the equation changed, and that's how they cheat, folks. They don't include certain things uh, that should be included. But these things are geared to surrender our sovereignty, which is why it's so important not to become embroiled in any multilateral trade agreement. And this is Trump's, who was brilliant as a capitalist. This is his primary argument against these multilateral TPP, NAFTA. TP, uh, TPA, which is the Atlantic, uh, uh, what was it, Transatlantic uh, Partnership, which is, uh, they were trying to push that. Trump took us out of the TPP, but the same could be said for the Paris Climate Agreement. It's the same thing. It's, it's, not, it's a quasi-trade agreement, but it's not really about trade. So they're blaming Trump as a conservative patriotic front man newly leading the free world's cause. And now Great Britain is starting to get a taste of it when they're, when they're trying to get out of um, Brexit or the, you know, the, the EU. They're trying to exit it, and they're, they're encountering problem after problem. 
uh, and the EU is threatening them, basically saying, well, you know what, if you don't want to be a member of our club, we're not going to trade with you. You see how that works? And you see, the, when you get involved in these uh, these uh, these these arrangements against groups of nations, it's impossible to extricate yourself from them. And now we're starting to see totalitarian tendencies uh, big time from the EU who threaten the U.S. because of our tax changes. I mean, these idiots actually think, well, you can't, you can't have your people and your corporations pay 21 percent tax because, well, because it's, it's because it would change the entire equation. It would actually put you in an advantage, even though they are uh, basically, you know, uh, operating under lower taxes. They don't want America to do that. Well, you know, come on, uh, why? And that's that's in another story tonight that we have. So all of these things point toward this globalism that they're trying to. You know, enact and uh, and and Trump is fighting against it. The first president's ever done that. Okay, now the globalist actions of trying to smash all of these nations together, uh, and, and that's really happening in the EU right now. But the UN wants it too through agendas 21 and 30. Uh, they want to erase all collective borders. Right now, this is an acceleration of something approaching what what could be called a one world fascist construct, folks. It's being engineered secretly. They won't tell you that, but they use these freak trade agreements, not free trade, they're freak trade, that only, you know, that really don't involve trade, but these are actionable clauses. I mean, trade is only a facet of it, in essence. So their efforts are swaddling free trade in the clothing of totalitarian fascism or authoritarianism, whatever you want to call it. And they're hoping that we don't catch on, okay? And that's a trap door that the globalists within the U.S. keep trying to push us over and into, folks. That's the thing, you see? So because once they get us entrapped within these uh, multilateral configurations, uh, then we're sacrificing our sovereignty over to the World Trade Order. This is why Trump, or the World Trade Organization, which is why Trump right now, is basically halting the appointment at, uh, through America's power as one of the signatory players of the WTO. You see, once we seat these judges and they start ruling, they always rule against Americans, so many different cases, right? So Trump has decided not to uh, – he's basically, uh, uh, what's the word, boycotting uh, the appointment of these judges so that they can't uh, – you know, push America around by their judiciary rulings, which our Supreme Court, if you want to go to the U.S., just switch to the U.S. judiciary. Our Supreme Court has uh, upheld most of everything that Trump has tried to, to, to do uh, on the uh, the illegal and, and free immigration coming in, okay, which is, by the way, is controlled by a U.N. organization, which Trump has said, no, we're not going to be a member of that club anymore. I think it's UNESCO. So he has basically exited us from that club, that, and that is the U.N. telling us what we can and cannot do with immigration, okay? And then finding way, creative ways around our own laws so that they can uh, engage in more immigration here by a bunch of people who have no education, who have nothing to bring but a new welfare check for us, okay? So as a nation, folks, we cannot be led by a totalitarian government if that, that government is limited in both size and scope. What Trump has been doing, you saw where he 
gave the land back to the state. They say, oh, he took the land away from the public. No. Uh, Obama went in and just basically that the U.S. government owns more land out west than anybody else. They've just seized it from the states. The states are like, oh, I don't want to mess with that. And so they've given up the land. Or we're going to turn it to a public park, you know. And and, and then they block access. That's why the uh, the action between those patriots that took over the the um, the public ranger station, or whatever you want to call it, I forget what they called it, where one of the guys got killed, two million bikers who were, I was a member of, we were all over that. And these were people that we knew who got killed by the government. Okay, and there's been more out on that, by the way. So that was what that was all about. It was about land seizing and not allowing uh, ordinary U.S. ranchers and farmers, etc., to use the land. Okay, well, Trump has given a massive chunk back to the state so that these individuals can use it and so that it doesn't fall under federal jurisdiction and then uh, the corrupt, uh, what is it, Land Bureau Management Organization, whatever they call that thing, uh, Land Bureau, EPA also. Uh, he's limiting the power of the EPA, who is basically suing people who wanted to build tanks or ponds on their land. Okay, and that's still illegal, by the way. You can't, you know, store water, right, in in some states. They don't allow it. See, what they're trying to do there is seize water rights. And one of the – who was it, the CEO of Nestle? None other than. He wants to make uh, – he, he, he wants to make it to where you have to buy all your water from corporations that are, of course, beholden to the uh, the government structure, right, sort of a – it's a, it's a hybridization, which once again, that's that's what we could refer to as fascism. So that that's that's the goal, folks. That's it. And as Ayn Rand said, as we're fighting these battles, the greatest threat to mankind and civilization is the spread of the totalitarian philosophy. Its best ally is not the devotion of its followers, but the confusion of its enemies. To fight it, you've got to understand it. And this is my whole point in focusing on these very facets tonight in in the show and with that i tell you what we're going to take a little bit of a break and uh when we get back we got to run through some of this news okay so uh hang with us and uh we're going to be right back hello welcome to obama golf my name is trina how can i help you yes hi i received an email from golf smith stating that my pro v1 golf ball order had been canceled and i should go to your exchange to reorder it so i tried the website but it doesn't seem to be working so i'm calling the 800 number yes i'm sorry about the website it should be fixed by the end of 2014 but i can help you thanks i ordered some pro v1 golf balls Sir, Pro V1s do not meet our minimum standards. I will be happy to provide you with a choice of Pinnacle, Top Flight, or Callaway Blue. But I've played Pro V1 for years. The government has determined that Pro V1s are no longer acceptable, so we have instructed Titleist to stop making them. Top flights are better, sir. I am sure you will love them. But I like the Pro V1. Wait, why are top flights better? That is all spelled out in the 2700-page Affordable Golf Ball Act passed by Congress. Well, how much are these top flights? It depends, sir. Do you want our bronze, silver, gold, or platinum package? Uh, what's the difference? 12, 24, 36, or 48 balls. Well, the silver package may be okay. How much is it? It depends, sir. What is your monthly income? 
Well, what does that have to do with anything? I need that to determine your government golf ball subsidy. Then I can determine how much your out-of-pocket cost will be. But if your income is below the poverty level, you might qualify for a subsidy. In that case, I can refer you to our ball aid department. Ball aid? Yes. Golf balls are a right. Everyone has a right to golf balls. So if you can't afford them, then the government will supply them free of charge. Who said they were a right? Congress passed it. The president signed it, and the Supreme Court found it constitutional. Whoa, whoa, wait. I don't remember seeing anything in the Constitution regarding golf balls as a right. There's no explicit mention of golf balls in the Constitution. But President Obama is a former constitutional scholar, and he believes it would have been included if the Constitution had not been drafted by a bunch of slave-owning white men. The Democrats in the Congress and the Supreme Court agree with the president that golf balls are now a right guaranteed by the Constitution. I don't believe this. It's the law of the land, sir. Now we anticipated most people would go for the silver package. So what is your monthly income, sir? Forget it. I'll just forego the balls this year. In that case, sir, I will still need your monthly income. Why? To determine what your non-participation cost would be. What? Wait, you can't charge me for not buying golf balls. It's the law of the land, sir. <laughs> Approved by the Supreme Court. It's $49.50, or 1% of your monthly income. Oh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll pay the $49.50. Sir, it is the $49.50, or 1% of your monthly income, whichever is greater. Are you kidding me? What a ripoff. Actually, sir, it's a good deal. Next year, it will be 2%. Uh, look, I'm going to call my congressman to find out what's going on here. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to pay it. Sorry to hear that, sir. That's why I had the NSA track this call and obtain the make and model of the cell phone you're using. Why does the NSA need to know what kind? a cell phone I'm using. So they can get your GPS coordinates, sir. The hell is that? That would be the IRS, sir. Thanks for calling Obama Golf. Have a nice day. And God bless the land of the free and the home of the brave. Have questions about business insurance? Simply log on to www.carolinaindustrial.com. We make it our business to get to know yours. Running a business is a full-time job. So is protecting it. Auto Owners Insurance protects thousands of businesses just like yours. We'll assess your needs and eliminate your insurance problems so you can devote more time to what you do best, managing your business. See us for no-problem business protection through Auto Owners Insurance. Auto Owners, no-problem people. Call Carolina Industrial and Matthews, insuring businesses statewide for over 21 years. 704-845-2456. 704-845-2456. Auto owners and no problem people.
why would you not want to preserve the record of electronic ballot records? What does this speak to? Well, this is uh, over at uh, uh, InfoWars, is where the story originated, but in a move blasted by voting rights experts as an affront to transparency, the Alabama State Supreme Court granted local election officials permission not to preserve electronic ballot records between the Moore-Jones contest less than 24 hours before the polls open, records that could form the basis of a recount. And you see there's a, the possibility of a problem here if this story holds. The Alabama State Supreme Court's ruling overturned an injunction issued by a lower court in Montgomery, the state's capital, which had ordered election officials across the state to preserve digital images of the ballots cast in the Senate race between Moore and Democrat Doug Jones. Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill appealed the lower court's injunction to the Supreme Court at 4.38 p.m. on Monday afternoon, and the justices came back with their ruling at 5.18. That was pretty quick. It's just unbelievable that they examined the pleadings and got eight judges to concur in half an hour on a Monday afternoon, said Priscilla Duncan, an attorney representing the plaintiffs in the case. Duncan expressed concern the voting machines could be compromised, whether intentionally or through error, indicating tests around the country have demonstrated sizable discrepancies. We have reason to believe those machines can be compromised, whether intentionally or through error, and there can be some false results. Now, you saw uh, the the difference in the vote was around 10,000 folks, and this is out of like 1.2 million people. It's not a lot. It's less. It's probably about seven-tenths of a percent. Almost, you know, enough for an automatic recount in Alabama, which is a half a percent. So, uh, so now, if Moore wants his recount, he's going to have to pay for it. But the issue here is the fact that they haven't uh, preserved the records to make sure that they're legitimate. So, um, Christopher Sutton said, "There's no reason not to preserve ballot images," and he is a Washington election lawyer who's an expert who helped the plaintiffs. He says it's neither expensive nor inconvenient. It amounts to flipping a switch. Now, while some have noted that Alabama officials could just count the original paper ballots in the event of a challenge, Alabama law does not provide for manual recounts, only a machine recount of the digital images that are taken at the time each ballot is cast. People think that when they mark the ballots and they go into the machine, that's what's counted, Duncan noted, but it's not. The paper ballot is not what count, what is counted. That ballot is scanned and they destroy the ballots after the election. So, And, and they don't allow a manual recount. So if you have only a machine recount and the judges orders the records to be destroyed, what the hell have you got? You got nothing. That's the thing here. So it's just a circular sort of uh, argument. It's you know what can you do? Well, there's not much you can do. So uh, we'll see about this. I don't know how this is going to shake out. Uh, he says, but it's not the paper ballot. It's what's counted. It's the scanning that they scan it, and now they're destroying that. So what do you do? And Roy Moore has not conceded the Alabama Senate race. So this could get interesting. It really could. So uh, now that's one major story. And uh, we're going to be uh, segueing into the recorded part of the show, which is the third hour, and that's going to—it'll be ready in an hour. So, if you get a break in your listening time, 
you can come back to uh, see our live to the, and click on the show link, or you can find it in iTunes, or, of course, you can find us in Stitcher. Just look us up, and, uh, and the full show will uh, be residing there in, in, in about, yeah, in, in exactly an hour to listen to the third hour, and you can just scroll right through it so you don't have to waste any time. Now then, uh, here's a story about O'Reilly that you do not want to miss. He's dropping a bombshell because, you see, they're turning their uh, liberal tourists towards Trump. The whole point is to take Trump out, right? I don't think it's because uh, of uh, they've you know, planned this all along. I think they saw how it turned against them, and so now they're going to try to turn lemons into lemonade and get Trump. Okay, but a tape actually exists of women offered 200000 to make Trump's sexual abuse claims, folks. Now, that's fascinating, and uh, let me see if I can get to that story here. I've got it here somewhere. Um, hang on, here we go. Okay, so now this is Bill O'Reilly, okay, and I believe he's talking uh, with uh, Glenn, and uh, here you go. Uh, check this out. No, I don't know if I have mentioned this on your program, but I predicted and we discussed last week that there's going to be a tremendous assault on President Trump coming. I agree. Probably come in January um, because he did get the tax reform passed, and the Democrats now say, well, we got to destroy him because he may get reelected. There is a tape, Beck, an audio tape of an anti-Trump person offering $200,000 to a woman to accuse Donald Trump of untoward behavior. So, uh, you know, you have talked to me about there. this. You've talked to yeah. me about this tape. You've talked to me about it privately as as well with, with yeah. additional information. Um, are, is this tape going to be released or? Well, I may have to, I may have to go to the U.S. attorney myself. I don't want to have to do that and inject myself into the story, but there are. I had my lawyer listen to the tape. My attorney, right? He's listened to it. There are at least three crimes on the tape. So, as a citizen, I may have to do this. I, I will tell you, now, Bill, that I, you know that's what, the first thing that you said. You said, "Well, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it. You know, so it could be released. It needs to be released." And you weren't talking about getting it for you to release it, but it's, it had to be out there. And I think the first time I said to you, you I mean, if they don't, you've got to bring it to the U.S. attorney. I, I Listen, I, again, it's in the hands of someone who knows the seriousness of the situation. All right. What is their hesitancy? I, you know, I can't really get into that at, at this point, but I can tell you that Donald Trump knows about the tape, that the president knows it. And I'm, for the life of me, sitting here going, why on earth are you allowing a movement to try to smear you when you have a powerful, and I mean it's powerful, piece of evidence that shows this is an industry, that there are false charges and money changing hands, okay? So it's so frustrating, but I wanted your, your listeners to know it. It's there. It's, it's, it's amazing, and it will change the whole discussion. If it ever gets out, so when do you when do you decide? You're I going? have no idea. <clears throat> you know, it's a big legal thing, um, and I'm watching it, but I'm not, I'm not going to let it go. I'm, I'm not going to. You know me. I'm not going to let it go. So I can't give you any any deadlines or anything like that. But I'm I'm in this 
And I'm not going to allow the country to be deceived. I'm just not. Not to say that Donald Trump didn't do stuff wrong. I, I mean, he did. But I'm not going to. I know there's an industry that pays people to smear other people. Yeah. And well, that's got to be exposed. Yeah. And it, but that doesn't mean that some of the other uh, accusers. But no, it, 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 it is. It's just. Go ahead. Yeah, it does show that. I mean, because I really believe, and it's not just going to be from the left. It'll be left, right. It'll be everybody. There will be people, if you can just continue to destroy people just by making an accusation, uh, there will be people that will do it for uh, money. And boy, would I like to uh, say a few things on that right now, but I'm not going to with Mr. O'Reilly. And you see, you know, you know it's true, and so do I, and so does every powerful person in the country. Anyway, I, I wanted to tell you before you kick me off the uh, air here that I got your Christmas card. Very nice. Glenn Beck sends great Christmas cards. But I wanted to ask you, have you made your Christmas? Okay, so uh, there is O'Reilly. So a tape exists of women uh, offered 200000 to make Trump's sex abuse claims. And it makes you wonder if perhaps that's uh, what may have been going on in Judge Moore's case, where the woman actually transcribed her annual uh, and said that that was, uh, you know, that was Roy Moore's writing. And you're going, well, why would a grown dude sign this chick's annual when she's like, whatever, seven, sixteen, or something? So you know, it's just, it's the, they're they're taking a movement and they're trying to use it to beat Trump over the head with. They're trying to, they that's been the role all along is to get rid of Trump. Uh, because he is a heretic that has taken over their precious God, the government, and they want him out of there. Well, so, you know, uh, so far most of this stuff has backfired in a very big way against him. And then you've got this ex-spy chief who is admitting a role in the deep state intelligence war on Trump. Folks, this isn't crazy. It's from Zero Hedge. It's true. An ex-spy who spoke out publicly against Trump while inspiring other career intelligence figures to follow suit has admitted his leading role in the intelligence community of waging political war against President Trump and describing his actions as something he didn't fully think through once he apologized for this. So, And this is a surprisingly frank interview. The CIA's Michael Morrell, a long-time Deputy Director and former acting director of the nation's most powerful intel agency said that it wasn't a great idea to leak against and bash a new president, especially false leaks. Morrell had the dubious distinction of being George W. Bush's personal daily briefer, and, you know, George W. Bush is a globalist from hell, before and after 9 11 and also served under Obama until his retirement. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 2016, he took the unusual step for a former Intel chief of openly endorsing Hillary Clinton in a New York Times op-ed entitled, I ran the CIA, now I'm endorsing Hillary Clinton. <laughs> that is not a, uh, you know, that's not a good endorsement, let me just say, from the CIA. After which he continued to uh, be both an outspit outspoken critic of Trump and an early CIA voice promoting the Russian collusion and election meddling narrative. There it is. As Politico's uh, Susan Glasser puts it, 
second. Kill that. Uh, in a newly published interview, she states that Morrell has emerged out of the shadows of the steep, deep state to become one of Trump's foremost critics speaking within the intel community. However, Politico sun- summarized the interview uh, as follows, but in a revealingly self-critical and at times surprising interview for this week's Global Politico, Morrell acknowledges that he and other spy world critics of the president failed to fully think through the negative backlash generated by their going political. There was a significant downside. So what it looks like to me is Trump went in there, he addressed the CIA, and he said, you better stop this or else. They're going to come after you. And I think that is what's happening. And I believe, uh, I don't know, but it, it seems to me they're scared. Why else would this guy say this? I think he's doing his Mia couple now, uh, trying to get out from under the giant uh, foot that is going to smash down on these people who were really, folks, this is treason. So not only had Moreno, once again, remember the global fascism, the globalist secret society, the clubs, the secret party. These are people who belong to it, and it's being found out, and they've got to try to get out from under what's coming. That's what it looks like to me. You can draw your own conclusions. But not only had Morrell, during his previous New York Times op-ed, stated that he was committed to doing everything I can to ensure that she is elected as our 45th president, but he went so far as to call then-candidate Trump a threat to our national security. Well, here she is uh, operating a drop server for every single freaking terrorist and uh national opponent of America to come and get uh, all sorts of Department of State secrets. And they did. While making the extraordinary claim, this guy also said that in the intelligence business, we would say that Mr. Putin had recruited Mr. Trump as an unwitting agent of the Russian Federation, which is total and complete bullshit. I mean, go back. Now, folks, the Senate has expanded their investigation into Uranium One. You want to go look at some collusion going on with Russia by a member of a high-ranking member of the U.S. government, that would be Hillary freaking Clinton, okay? So, I mean, it's just incredible disinformation, asymmetrical warfare, as they call it. Now, Zero Hedge story goes on. Curiously, Morrell was, in his latest political interview, indicated when asked about his public profile and activism so soon after leaving the agency, something that was unusual prior to Trump taking the office, we know this now, or we knew it then, that his post-retirement media appearances have been approved and or have been received or by some level of oversight by the CIA. In the interview, Morrell states, I did a 60 Minutes interview about my life inside CIA, and uh, it's something the agency thought was a good thing to do. And I taped most of it before I left the agency. While such CIA review of former employees' publications and media interactions is nothing new, in Morrell's case, it was an unprecedented example of a very high-profile intelligence figure, who was supposed to be apolitical, by the way, explicitly campaigning for a globalist presidential candidate and against another while specifically invoking his role at the CIA. Folks, that's illegal. You can't do that. 
And that may be why he's trying to do his little mea culpa. He began his New York Times column by, by stating that during a 33-year career at the CIA, he served presidents of both parties, three Republicans and three Democrats, followed by a litany of key national security events he was central to. I'll bet you he was central to them, 9-11 for one. The other important confirmation to come out of the discussion is a clear-gutting assumption of the interview that the Intel deep state did in fact go to war with Trump, which has now been confirmed by Morrell himself. So we were saying it all along, folks. You can go read, oh my God, how many stories did I tell you this? And you knew it, but uh, it's now been confirmed by her Morrell himself, which is essentially to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So, uh, and Byron York uh, even stated that a light bulb went off for former top CIA official. Maybe it wasn't a great idea to leak and, and bash a new president. Boy, this tells you something. Now, here's the key exchange in the Politico interview, okay? Uh, it begins as follows. Glasser, the guy doing the interview. Okay, so flash forward a year. What was that? Mis- was that a mistake? Morrell. So, I don't think it was a mistake. I think there were downsides to that. I didn't think about it at the time, of course. I was concerned about what is the impact it would have on the agency, right? He goes on, very concerned about that, though that through, thought that through. But I don't think I fully thought through the implications. And one of the ways I thought about that, Susan Glasser, is, okay, how did Donald Trump see this, right? And from it's very important, one of the things we do as Intel and analysts is to make sure that our guy, the president, understands the other guy, right? So let's put ourselves here in Donald Trump's shoes. So what does he see, right? He sees a former director of CIA and a former director of NSA, Mike Hayden, who he has the greatest respect for. I certainly don't. Criticizing him and his policies, right? And he could originally or rightfully have said, huh, what's going on with these intel guys, right? That was his own words. So, so well, he's trying to pull his agencies out from under the foot smashing down on them. I mean, folks, they could be disbanded. I mean, this kind of thing, if the right emphasis is taken, they could take apart the FBI and the CIA. Uh, wouldn't that be something? Uh, and maybe there's something going on. Maybe they're going to try to clean it out. I, I just find this highly unusual for this guy to be saying these things, just taking a completely different tack. I don't think this would happen unless it was out of fear. Morrell seems to confirm Trump's narrative of events concerning Russiagate, fake news, and willful intelligence leaks intended to damage the president, despite his opening obfuscation of, I don't think it was a mistake. So he's essentially admitting the negative consequences, but with no regret. So there you go. He's just, he's only saying this. I mean, why else would it be? Because he's afraid. Because he knows he's done something wrong. Surprisingly, Morrell even implicates himself with the words, and then he sees a forming actor, director, and deputy director of CIA criticizing him and endorsing his opponent. So the the be-all, end-all here is you've got a CIA guy basically apologizing, but saying, I don't think I did anything wrong, but I'm scared as hell. So what does this tell you? It tells you that we're winning. The crazy freaking stories, man. These are crazy. So you actually do have an ex-spy chief admitting his role in the deep state's intelligence war on Trump. Now then, don't you think there's also a media? And once again, these are members of the club. These are members of the super-secret party 
society, whatever you want to call it, that we true Americans, we traditional Americans are going, you're not supposed to be doing this crap. Okay, you, you're, you're supposed to be letting us be in control, but you're trying to maintain your control. And Hillary would have fomented that control, you see? So just an incredible, and there's much more to this in, this, in, in, in our new show tonight. You've got the climate hoax research scientists. This ties in. Climate hoax, folks, is the ideology by which the cult of climate change, in essence, by which the globalists are trying to change the entire economic system of the globe. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up a redistributionist scheme, a Ponzi scheme, if you want to call it that, where they rob the wealthy countries, specifically America, and give it to the rest of the world. And that's that's kind of a, a sort of a Soros construct. So uh, this is a cult of globalism's first commandment. It requires adherence, fascism, within the belief system of climate change. Remember they're saying they should arrest us or, you know, we should be uh, drummed from society, we should be jailed, uh, we should be killed, all because we don't believe in their cult, their their faith, of uh, which, al- which aligns completely towards other encompassing precepts making up the globalist faith. I mean, that's so this is canon by which they're installing globalism. But what we're seeing is, is scientists are coming out and, and noticing that they are tampering in the day. Well, we've been covering this all along, but we've got another example of where they're tampering with sea level data, the raw unadjusted data from three Indian Ocean gauges, Aden, Karachi, and Mumbai, showed that local sea level trends in the last 140 years, ladies and gentlemen, have been very gently rising, neutral or negative. In other words, sea levels have actually fallen. But after the evidence had been adjusted by tidal record gatekeepers at the Global Data Bank of Permanent Service for Mean Sea Level, well, it's mean, all right, it suddenly showed a sharp and dramatic rise. The whistle was blown by two Australian scientists, Dr. Albert Parker and Dr. Clifford Allier, in a paper for Earth Systems and Environment. The paper is the Sea Level Stable, or at Aden, you men, examines the discrepancies between raw and adjusted, adjusted, adjusted sea level data in Aden, Karachi, and Mumbai. Kenneth Richard at No Tricks Zone reports the authors expose how PSMSL data adjusters make it appear that stable sea levels, levels can be rendered to look like they are nonetheless rising at an accelerated pace. The data adjusters, adjusters, take misaligned and incomplete sea level data from tidal gauges that show no sea level rise or even a falling trend, then they subjectively and arbitrarily carble them together or realign them. In each case, assessed PSMSL data adjusters then lowered the earlier misaligned rates and raised the more recent measurements. By doing all of this, they concoct a new linearly rising trend. And uh, There's a graphic here showing you how they do it. And these authors, these scientists who blew the whistle are saying they're not mincing their words. They're saying that they refer to these adjustments as highly questionable and suspicious. Folks, this is why they don't use satellite data. We've got satellites. We can gauge temperatures all over the planet now, but they don't use them. Why? 
because you can't monkey with them. It's done via transmission. So human interaction in order to interpolate the data is not required, you see. So this is why they do not, uh, the, the, uh, all these oceanic organizations and meteorology, I mean the colleges, uh, the climate change gurus, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they don't use satellite data. We've got the report. Why? Because then you can't adjust it because it just gets transmitted in and there it is. So it takes out the human element. And let me tell you, the human element here has a definite goal in mind. So the authors uh, basically state this is very suspicious, highly questionable. In other words, they're saying these are freaking liars, man. These are they're 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 nuts, and that's because they can find no explanation for the adjustments. As I explained at the beginning of the paper, it is hard to put together consistent sea level records covering a long time period. This is because tide gauges are often the result of multiple sets of data taken over different time periods using different instruments, which are then spliced together. So, in other words, they're cheating, which, you know, oh, my God, it's sinking. No, it's eroding. Maybe it's on a plate, this subject to volcanic activity or even earthquake activity. That plate's sliding or it's being subducted. So, uh, but overall, the, you know, one of their basic arguments is that the sea levels are rising, and now we see how they're rising. They're rising because humans are inter these these globalists, okay, these climate cult changelings are altering the blasted data. And we've done so many reports now; it's pathetic on this point. Uh, meantime, you got Macron over there in France who thinks of himself as Jupiter. Uh, if the god Jupiter, that's what he said. Well, we covered that a long time ago. Uh, but all of their investors are turning against fossil fuels at a climate summit. Major investors vowed to move away from earth-warming fossil fuels as world leaders met in Paris, seeking to unlock new cash to save humanity from climate doom. They need an offering, ladies and gentlemen, to give to the gods who will then parlay their money into faith and thereby lower global temperatures. Their gods. Yeah, their gods, not our. Not our one god. Their gods. Yeah, that's correct. So two years to the day since 195 nations sealed the Paris Agreement to avert a worst-case climate change. It's like Chicken Little. Banks and companies announced billions of dollars of intended investments from coal, oil, natural gas. Natural gas doesn't do anything. I've got a natural gas fireplace running right now. It's not a, uh, maybe a fossil fuel, but it's very clean automatically. Anyway, natural gas, they got it included in there because it's fossil, right? And fossil is bad. Oh, God, these people. So um, they're trying to get rid of all that stuff. But conf and, and they don't even have enough energy. Uh, they're, they're trying, by the way, uh, Germany and all these EU nations, even though Russia, who we guard against invading Germany and all of those countries by virtue of our troops there on German soil, right? Uh, they're going to try to open up another pipeline from Russia, okay? Kind of stupid when you stop and think about the fact that uh, supposedly, I mean, Russia just invaded uh, Ugo, uh, Ukraine, not Yugoslavia, but Ukraine or Crimea, and they're still in there and they're still fighting, right? And this was, by the way, after Obama, as a U.S. senator in 05-06,
went over there with another rhino globalist Republican senator to de-arm Ukraine, like $150 million to destroy all of their weaponry, all their ammunition, all that stuff, most of it, and basically de-armed Ukraine, leaving the way fresh for Putin to invade. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so there's your collusion. Even when he, hey, you talking about a Manchurian candidate? Oh my God! So, uh, so, but anyway, conference host France, um, as well as the UN and the World Bank. Oh, those are some actors, aren't they? Said efforts to shift the global economy into a green energy future were too little and too slow. Um, remember, we were having to, you know, in this Paris thing, we were going to have to switch in the next like five years, and everybody else was given thirty. Okay, yeah, that's a recipe for a freaking disaster. That's what I'm talking about. Anyway, that's why Trump said, "Uh-uh, not doing that." So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, their their efforts to shift the global economy into a green energy future were too little and too slow. As a report warned about false but unprecedented Arctic war. Well, it's unprecedented, all right. Once again, you got human involvement in there changing everything. Oh, they're melting. It's melting. No, it's not melting. It's just normal weather, normal events. Uh, we are losing the battle against climate change, French President Emmanuel Macron told delegates. We're not moving fast enough. For his part, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said continued fossil fuel subsidies amount to humanity investing in its own doom. Ah, yeah, that's hell on earth. There you go. We are in a war for the very existence of life on our planet. Uh, excuse me, plants use carbon dioxide, right? Yes, that's, they feed off of carbon dioxide. Uh, so if you're going to try to get rid of carbon dioxide, you're also going to be getting, possibly getting rid of some plant life. Yeah, and by the way, we live off of plant life. We, you know, we call them farms and things like that, grain, you know, things that we eat. Oh, these people are so dumb. So, uh, well, maybe it's that they're not so dumb. It's just they're so treasonous to their own nations that they will. Many of them are just apparatchik. They don't really know what's involved and whether or not we can actually trust what anybody is saying. They're just going along with their cult basically, because you can't question your cult. Once again, fascism. So, at the summit called by Macron, the god Jupiter, as he calls himself, damning vote of no confidence, right? That's what it says. So the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, another prime actor, uh, said Arctic warming, which is happening at twice the planetary rate, which is bullshit, was the new normal and would have global consequences. The Arctic has traditionally been the refrigerator of the planet. No, that would be the Antarctic, you nut job, said Jeremy Mathis. They just change facts, you know, because they figure people are stupid. They don't know. But the door to that refrigerator has been left open. Oh, so now the planet, the, the cold part of the planet, is a refrigerator, Right. Actually, it's more of an air conditioning, if you want to get right down the door. But anyway, the Paris Agreement, which took more than two decades to negotiate, yeah, and a lot of dollars from governments, I'm telling you, <laughs> seeks to limit average global warming to under 2 degrees Celsius, or that would be 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit for you true Americans, over pre-industrial revolution levels under it. Countries have pledged non-binding cuts in greenhouse gas emissions and blah, 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 blah. President Donald Trump called it a hoax, rejecting the Paris deal and vowing to restore jobs in the fossil fuel industry and completely pissing off the globalist apparatchiks who are lying to everybody, basically. Okay? I mean, you know, this stuff just gets so 
pathetic after a while. You just you're like, please. So anyway, there you go. There's that story, and uh, then also in the news we've got uh, Care, the uh, what do they call the Coalition of Arab uh, Islamic Americans or some something like that. Um, this is by Daniel uh, Greenfield, and a familiar pattern. Uh, Care has once again stepped in to speak for a terrorist family, the one who taunted Trump, saying, you let America get hurt. And then he didn't exactly get his bomb right. Okay, went off in his pants. Anyway, late Monday afternoon, a man outside a home on Ocean Parkway, where the suspect was believed or is believed to have lived, uh, read a statement. And he said this, we are heartbroken by the violence that was targeted in our city today and by the allegations being made against a member of our family uh, this is his name was Albert Fox Khan, a legal director for the New York chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations, a terrorist organization, if ever there were one. But we are also outraged by the behavior of the law enforcement officials who have held children as small as four years old out in the cold and who pulled a teenager out of high school classes to interrogate him without a lawyer, without his parents. These are not the sort of actions that we expect from our justice system, and we have every confidence that our system We'll find the truth behind this attack. And well, what the, why would you conflate one with the other? Really? Uh, so this, this uh, Islamic dude didn't take any questions from reporters, and then they made the terrorist cry. There, this is a uh, fairly typical lawfare, in which it quickly pushes back against law enforcement rather than aiding them, because it's always been a pro-terrorist organization, and there is a pattern. They've been investigated by the FBI and all that. And there is a pattern of care showing up after a terror attack to represent the terrorist's family. Oh, isn't that sweet? So uh, we also, by the way, says uh, Daniel, that uh, we saw these same routines after the San Bernardino attack. The Council on American-Islamic Relations held a press conference to address Wednesday's mass murder in San Bernardino, California. Farhan Khan, brother-in-law Farouk, stayed mostly mum when asked questions. So, you see, now, there, there is care right there. Did the same thing after the Orlando massacre. Uh, a fellow stepped up, and basically what they're, they're apologizing for terrorists. That's essentially what you were seeing happening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that organization should be disbanded and forced out of the U.S. completely. They're they're just a terrorist, a dimitude, which is submission to Islam organization. And then you did hear uh, in the news that the uh, the Hill is an investigating. They they have revealed the deep state's husband and wife duo, once again tying into our fascist theme for tonight, working for FBI and CIA as U.S. Attorney General Sessions is considering prosecution. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know that that could be bad, uh, at least for the deep state. If Sessions has the balls to do it, which I sincerely doubt, um, the case could. This could blow up uh, like a massive portion of the information black hole that the shadow government has been hiding from you. So, uh, but this is uh, President Trump's outside counsel, which is Jay Sekulow. Uh, they, they're calling for an investigation into denoted or demoted DOJ official Bruce Orr. He was holding two posts. That's not not supposed to happen. And then, of course, his wife, Nellie Orr, uh, and her contacts 
with the opposition research uh, firm Fusion GPS. By the way, she worked for the CIA. <laughs> Man, this stuff. She worked for the CIA, okay, and uh, she was also in cahoots with Fusion GPS, as was Orr, which is why he was demoted. Uh, and, you know, then you've got this guy, Strzok, who was also in cahoots with uh, GPS, Fusion, whatever the heck. I mean, and see, now a general, general, Jeff Sessions is reportedly exploring whether or not to move forward with his option. What does this guy need? I mean, a kick in the balls to get him to do something? In a statement issued hours after Seculo's appearance of a on Fox News, Sessions said, I've put a senior attorney with the resources he may need to review cases in our office and make a recommendation to me. If things aren't being pursued that need to be pursued, if, I'm telling you, man, this guy's already so far behind. It's pathetic. If cases may... And folks, let me just say this. He is the author of every bit of this. He, Jeff Sessions is the one who recused himself, allowed a special counsel to be instated, and now they're burrowing into everything regarding all things Trump, okay? Sessions uh, basically just blew a hole in the side of the Trump administration, stepped out of the way and said, okay, uh, Democrat operatives, go in there and uh, do what you can to take out my president, who I worked hard to get into office, because I'm just a big freaking pussy. That's, uh, I'm sorry, but that is Mr. Jeff Sessions in a nutshell. He should resign, and uh, all of this stuff should be ceased immediately. They still have no evidence whatsoever of anything. The only thing that they have is these people didn't tell the complete and total truth to the FBI, who hasn't been telling the complete and total truth to us, by the way, but that's okay. Uh, so these guys get arrested and come under charges while they go scot-free for lying to the American people. And that's because the FBI is a step above the American people. It is an oligarchic society uh, that we as American people answer to and that it doesn't have to answer to us, you see. So this is why whenever Congress subpoenas information, they just, uh, you know, it's not important because we don't answer to Congress, which is wrong. So Sessions is considering uh, going after this guy, Bruce Orr. He's sort of an Asian-looking American. And his wife, Nellie, and boy, she looks like a Nellie, believe me. If she had any more of a square jaw, I think she could beat me in a weightlifting competition. Uh, anyway, not a pretty one, that one. So anyway, still keeps coming into this. Uh, Russian prostitutes peeing on beds and all this nonsense, I'll tell you. And then you've got the, uh, the demoted DOJ official, who concealed close ties to Trump dossier authors, also concealed his wife's employment at Fusion GPS in 2016. That's the same guy, Bruce Orr. So he tried to keep it secret. They've been trying to keep all of this stuff secret, and it just keeps popping out. Meanwhile, last week, the House is drafting or drafted contempt of Congress resolutions against Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein and FBI Director Ray for refusing to release information. Now, who the hell do they think they are? Well, once again, they're a step above the American people and our representatives, uh, at least um, ostensibly, right? You see, so this is how and why they are, they're, they're members of that club. I don't know. Maybe some of them are members of the Illuminati. Who knows? 
But it sure sure as hell seems that Hillary is because she always wiggles out of everything. Ever notice that? And Illuminati, hard to get those guys. You're, you're not allowed to as a government official. So, uh, And then we also found out uh, last week that Fusion GPS paid the senior Justice Department official's wife during the 2016 campaign, which does indeed set up a conflict of interest. This was Nellie Moore once again. And uh, I tell you, man, you know, this stuff just gets, it gets worse and worse. Oh, by the way, now get this. This is another one from the Gateway Pundit. Now, this happened uh, two days ago, not heavily in the media. FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe abruptly canceled an appearance before the House Intelligence Committee scheduled for Tuesday. Sources told Fox News reporter Chad Program that they believe McCabe canceled on the panel over fears he would be asked about recently demoted Justice Department official Bruce Orr's wife, who worked for Fusion GPS during the 2016 campaign. FBI's McCabe was expected to appear before the House Intel Committee Tuesday, and now he's told, told us he's not coming. Expect subpoenas to compel McCabe to appear this week. Uh, McCabe has an Orr problem tweeted Fox News reporter Chad Pergram. He says FBI's McCabe was expected to appear before House uh, Intel Committee. Now he's not coming. So there you go. What does that tell you, folks? Rosenstein showed up. But McCabe has some serious problems here because he knows they're going to ask him about his wife, who was funded heavily by the Clinton campaign to the tune of like $750,000, and also, there was uh, some play in there also uh, with Virginia Governor, Democrat Governor McCullough. Uh, McCabe's fingerprints are, are, it seems like, a part of so many of these things that have taken place. So, back to the story congressional sources uh, tell Fox that they believe FBI Deputy Director McCabe. Uh, is not coming to the House Intel, Intel Committee because he'd been asked about because he would be asked about Bruce Orr's and Orr's wife Nellie, and he didn't know what he could say, or in other words, he knew he couldn't lie, and that could be a problem. All right. So uh, Fox has, has uh, also told House Committee will likely subpoena McCabe to appear this week. In addition, will subpoena documents and emails related to his appearance. So now. Why would uh, now? This is a sitting uh, former um, director of the deep state, and he's refusing to come speak before Congress. So once again, you're establishing a pecking order, which states that they, these uh, fascist oligarchs, have more authority than our representatives in Congress, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, they don't. The problem is. There have, there, the Congress has basically removed all of its teeth. It's defanged itself. And uh, if you know that nothing's going to happen to you if you refuse uh, their request or orders as you like to see it, then nothing's going to happen. Go back and look at Lerner. So, and this is this is one of the problems. Nobody's had ever roles. You ever notice that? Nobody, no matter what they do up there, they get away with it. Now, if we had done anything close to this out in the private sector. We have been, you know, headless and guillotined by now. Uh, but as I stated earlier, Senate is expanding its investigation of the Uranium One deal. We'll see where that goes. CNN seems to be protecting Democrat Adam Schiff, who's on that uh, investigative team with uh, 
Rhino, uh, Senator, um, um, what is his name? He's a North Carolina senator. I'm sorry. Uh, show blank. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Burr, Raymond Burr, uh, from North Carolina, and he's sort of uh, given all of his, uh, like a true uh, beta male, he's given it up to Schiff, who's about the uh, scrawniest looking alpha male I've ever seen, I suppose. But he's saying that uh, this is the Wall Street Journal. It says that we're living in strange times when the ranking member of the House Intel Committee is among the most media-friendly lawmakers in Washington. That's for an Intel Committee, yeah. The times would be less strange if the media were a little less friendly in return. Yeah, yeah well, he's a member of their club, right? Since they are charged with overseeing America's spy agency, the members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees are usually as tight-lipped as a group of politicians, as you'll find. Each one takes and knows to protect the country's secrets and is expected to take special care in protecting the classified information and trusting them. Folks, this is a deep state. Everything I'm talking about is you see the deep state's fingerprints on this. Every single thing. So Adam Schiff, who rarely misses an opportunity to get in front of the cameras, um, has publicly characterized the non-public information that he claims to have seen. So this raises the question of whether he's violating the rules of the committee by discussing classified intel or perhaps misleading the public about what he's seen before giving him a yet another platform to hurl allegations of treasonous behavior. And, folks, you want to see the author of treasonous behavior once again, Clinton and Obama? Oh, my God. So, uh, anyway, journalists should first demand that he show up with some facts. Let me get a sip of tea here. Throat's getting dry. Yes, I already had my coffee. For the better part of a year, Mr. Schiff has been teasing the public with claims of wrongdoing by his political adversaries, but refusing to back them up. Okay, so what what you're seeing, is, and, and especially CNN, which if you have an R by your name, you're an automatic enemy. But if you have a D, well, you're like you know you're you're the you're the friendliest dunce ever. They don't go after Democrats ever, right? So unless it's some sort of sexual freak show thing. So anyway, uh, the, 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 the thrust of this story is stating that CNN is protecting him and is not reporting things. Meanwhile, you got Governor Brown, the uh, progressive over there in California, going biblical, saying Trump doesn't fear the wrath of God. California Governor Jerry Brown says President Trump stands on climate change. Oh, the cult of climate change. Here it is again. You keep, notice, you keep noticing how it rears its ugly head, don't you? Right? It keeps popping up, popping everywhere, popping up. Isn't that fascinating? He says that President Trump's stance on climate change demonstrates that he does not appear to fear the wrath of the climate gods, okay, or have any regard for the existential consequences of his <laughs> existential is right of his environmental policies. Because if you don't do this, our globalism stuff can't go through. He says, I don't think President Trump has any fear of the Lord. This is the governor of California, for heaven's sake. They don't even know who God is, I don't think. The fear of the wrath of God, which leads one to more humility. This is such a... Do folks, do you see anything in climate change in the Bible? I don't. Uh, he says, this is such a reckless disregard for the truth and for the existential... He's using existential quite a bit. Consequences that can be unleashed, Brown said in an interview on CBS's... Uh, 60 ticking minutes, which is set to air on Sunday. Brown, who studied to become a Jesuit, oh, there it is, the Jesuit oath. Oh, there it is. You know, the Pope is a Jesuit. He was never supposed to be Pope because Jesuits are not allowed, according to Catholic canon, 
to become Pope because they are the brown shirt. They are the militant arm of the Catholic Church, and they take an oath that's worse than the oath of Islam, for heaven's sake, whatever that is. I mean, busting children's heads and lying everywhere. That's what the Jesuit oath is all about. So, Brown, I love this stuff. I tell you, I love this stuff. I mean, the Jesuits are heavily involved in Freemasons and the Illuminati and all sorts of bad, bad stuff. Okay, so he studied become a Jesuit priest prior to that. Adam Weishaupt, Jesuit folks, uh, and has been a vocal critic of the Trump administration, who is not. Trump is not a Freemason by any stretch of the imagination, I should say. <laughs> and he is a Presbyterian. I should say that, too. His latest comments, uh, Browns, come on the southern portion of California battles massive wildfires, right? So I tell you, uh, if you want to talk about the wrath of God hitting your, you know, political or your your government entity or your your political borders, uh, do, you, do you, you think California governor might be kind of uh, conflating what's really happening? Because... California is not Trump state. I mean, they have made that very clear. So, uh, but it is Governor Brown's state. So, if you want to talk about the wrath of God, Governor Brown, uh, you might want to look in your own ballywick right there. I mean, the godless California. I mean, seriously, uh, some of the crazy stuff that goes on there, and you're you're and you're saying that God is going after Trump because he's giving you wildfires. I mean. What color is the sky in this idiot's world? Uh, what is it? Well, I think we used to call him Governor Moonbeam, right? He's boy, he is a polka dot moonbeam guy. Trump declared a state of emergency for California, okay? And uh, this, I tell you, so it's like they're blaming Trump for their fire, okay? And they have uh, basically divorced Trump, even tried to secede from the union, as they say. So, uh, and meanwhile, you've got, uh, you know, the fictional stuff coming out of CNN. I've got a report here uh, uh, that, let me see here. Wait a minute. Yeah, U.S. media suffering is the most humiliating debacle in ages and now refuses all transparency over what happened. Uh, oh, by the way, interesting, White House aide Amarusa Manigault Newman to depart in January. So I'm seeing oh, people talking about she was fired or she's quitting. or Now, that's that real pretty black lady that has, you know, come out in support of Trump. Uh, who was, uh, she was a, a former star of The Apprentice. She went to work for Trump. She's one of his most prominent African-American aides, and she is leaving her post as a presidential advisor. This is reported by the White House Wednesday morning. According to a brief statement, Here's Manigault Newman resigned yesterday to pursue other opportunities. And it could just be a year, you know. A lot of them cut cut the trail at a year and turn that turn that uh, that 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 stay, you know, in the administration into capital. That's what it's good for. So, the, in one form or another, maybe not as a lobbyist, certainly, or certainly not as a lobbyist, because she's not going to be allowed to do that. But she could go out to the media to do all sorts of things, especially, you know, Fox maybe. Or who knows? But the resignation won't take effect until January 20th. We wish her the best in future endeavors, the way I said in a tweet Saturday. Thank you, Amorosa, for your service. I wish you continued success. Her departure was abrupt. And it looks like they may be trying to turn this into something that it's not. You know how they are. This is the Wall Street Journal. 
uh, one of the better ones, by the way. But according to White House official who said that Mayor Manigault Newman was physically dragged and escorted off the campus Tuesday evening, huh? I don't know about that. She didn't immediately respond. Did you? So her departure was abrupt. According to a White House official, now this could be just a, one of those stupid leaks, but he said that she was physically dragged and escorted off the campus. That's kind of weird. In a tweet, the U.S. Secret Service, which protects the president, said it deactivated Mrs. Manigault Newman's White House access past Tuesday, but wasn't involved in removing her from the complex. The Secret Service, it stated, this is a quote, was not involved in the termination process of Mrs. Manigault Newman or the escort off of the complex, the Secret Service said. Our only involvement in this matter was to deactivate the individual's past. So they saying that they weren't involved in her escort, but they're not saying that somebody else wasn't. I don't know, okay? I don't know what this chick did. I don't know. I don't know. But Ms. Newman, known for her role uh, during the first season of Trump's reality show, worked for Trump's campaign uh, on African-American voter outreach, and she served also in the White House as the Director of Communications for the Office of Public Liaison. And she is the second permanent staffer this month to announce a departure from the White House following Deputy National Security Advisor Dina Powell. So, and see, it says here, more officials are expected to resign as the first anniversary of the Trump administration approaches, which is not unusual. Michael C. Bender, uh, who was a hardcore leftist in the Fusion GPS mold, contributed to this article, so we don't know, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, and meanwhile, you've got this exchange, uh, several different items here. Um, well, before I run out of time, i got to tell you this. Uh, you know, I've got the Deadpool at Conservative Focus. You Google Deadpool Conservative Focus, and it'll come up of all the deaths associated uh, with Hillary Clinton. And a doctor who exposed Hillary Clinton was found stabbed to death, and police have ruled it as a suicide. Ah, I think that's Japanese Harry Carey, right? Folks, people don't stab themselves to death. It's unheard of. I wonder if this guy was trained in the, you know, the what, the Asian militant arts or whatever. One of the United States leading surgeons who exposed misappropriation of funds by the Clinton Foundation in Haiti has been found dead after being. I tell you what, folks, after being stabbed. Now we had another guy, finance minister from Haiti, who was also killed. Okay, forget his name. We got it in. Uh, we got it in the S files. Because that's where it belongs in conservative focus. His name is Dr. Dean Lorich, and he was found on the bathroom floor of his New York apartment by his 11-year-old daughter. That's horrible. Um, with a knife still stuck in his chest at around 1 p.m. on Monday. The 54-year-old doctor's daughter alerted the doorman of the building, but Dr. Lorich had died before emergency services could reach him. Police say there was no sign of forced entry because a professional did it and immediately ruled the suspicious death as suicide, claiming it was most likely, how the hell do you do that? Uh, where was he at? Find out where he's at. Where was he at? Where was he at? Okay. I'm, I'm, wait, wait a minute. Okay, let me just read on down. Oh, this is the New York Police Department. Aha. Yeah. Remember who runs New York, right? All the leftists, members of the club. Globalist? Ah, yes, there we go. Uh, you know, every one of these deaths that are, has occurred, and there have been a bunch of them, right? 
they automatically want, you know, oh, this is not, you know, it's it's just obviously suicide. Who the hell stabs themselves to death in this day and time? It's just a horrible way to die. I mean, really. So uh, the New York Police Department said that no suicide note was found and that the skilled orthopedic trauma surgeon had bled to death. I mean, if he's a trauma surgeon, he knows better. He knows this is not a good way to go, right? Completely missing his heart when he stabbed himself, supposedly. Those who follow WikiLeaks, uh, why would you, if you're a, you know what? You know right where to put that knife. I mean, right in your heart if you're an orthopedic surgeon, right? So, anyway, now, he he was the one that exposed, and I'm sure there was more exposure because they were having hearings not too long ago over how the Clintons robbed Haiti of all of the money that was coming down there as aid. I mean, that's a well-known fact. Uh, and the Haitians cannot stand the Clintons. They better not go there. I'll put it to you that way. So those who follow WikiLeaks and have investigated Hillary Clinton's emails may recognize Dr. Dean Lorix's name. In 2010, Lorix was part of a relief effort flown to Huwaiti as a volunteer to offer her skills for civilians who had been injured during the earthquakes that devastated the region. Within 24 hours, his 13-member team of surgeons and anesthesiologists, folks, these guys don't do this. They don't kill themselves, especially orthopedic surgeons, prominent ones. But there was that thing about the charitable Clinton Foundation and all of their efforts in Haiti uh, that led the relief effort and raising millions of dollars from around the world and then stealing it from the Haitians and the pissing the Haitians off completely. Sadly, most of the funds never reach the people of Haiti, as pretty much all the funds that go into the Clinton Foundation, but instead line the pockets of the Clinton's associates who are meant to redevelop the nation but never delivered. Dr. Lorich and his team were there to help save the limbs of those injured. Lorich described the amputation of those conditions as a death sentence and hoped to treat as many as possible. Uh, with the amount of money that was being donated, Lorich and his team expected to have full support when their plane touched down. Instead, he described the situation as shameful and witnessed firsthand a huge misappropriation of funds uh, with the people affected by the disaster receiving no help whatsoever. How about that? And he was, uh, let's see, the email, uh, wait a minute, Dr. Lorish was disgusted and sent an email to then Secretary of uh, State Hillary Clinton's Chief of Staff, Cheryl Mills, now that name, to report what he had seen. The email was forwarded to Hillary Clinton, which meant it then found its way into WikiLeaks' possession and can be read here. And you can actually go to the story. I'll stick it in conservative focus because I don't have it in the show right now. It's one of my late entries. Um, but satisfied with the lack of response from Clinton's people, despite the fact they had clearly read his email, or wrote an article for CNN that exposed what he found. We found scores of patients with pus dripping out of extreme fractures and crutch injuries. Some room, wounds were ridden with maggots. About a third were children. The, the entire hospital smelled of lot, rotting limbs and death. And later on, we would judge our surgical progress by the diminishment of the stench. As we got up and running and organized the patients for surgery, we told our contacts in the United States the Clintons what we needed. Unfortunately, no help to ever arrive. Upon our departure, we witnessed pallets of Cheetos, Cheerios, and dry goods sitting on a tarmac, helping nobody. Yet our flight of critical medical equipment and personnel had been canceled. Our roll back in New York is to dispose 
expose the inadequacies of the system. Dr. Lorick's report on Hades shone a huge spotlight on the level of corruption that was taking place. None of the money was getting there. According to New York Daily News, upon hearing of Lorick's death, one of his colleagues fell to her knees in prayer after hearing the terrible news. The woman was screaming while kneeling and crossing herself, saying, this is horrible, this is horrible, I don't believe this. He was a father of three girls, associate director. Folks, I mean, this is, uh, you talk about smelling a rat here. Oh, this is it. Uh, <laughs> these guys don't kill themselves, and they certainly don't kill themselves by stabbing themselves with a freaking knife. Ladies and gentlemen, here you are. Another Clinton death. Uh, you talk about the, 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 she has murdered so many people, and what appears in this, I, I'm telling you, this is crazy. If indeed she is the one that is, you know, so many people have dropped like flies from this Haitian thing. I'm going to go ahead and put this story in so you can come here at Conservative Refocus and read it if you like. Uh, and I will be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be uh, following up with a report on this uh, as a way we see what's happening. This is incredible and it's crazy. And this is real. I've seen it reported in other, sourced in other areas, okay? Uh, and this is just another, you know, another of something on the order of 150 in her political career. Just crazy. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's just a coincidence, so don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Yeah, so crazy stuff here. Now, we've got a few minutes left, so i tell you what, let me... Uh, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, stop with uh, all of the stories. Uh, my voice is going anyway. But CNN's fake news snowflake Acosta has accused Sarah Sanders of intimidation threats because she, she questioned him. She says, I'm not answering any more of your stupid questions. We're done for tonight. Uh, and I've got a story about CNN's botching news, misreporting, misrepresenting news, in uh, 20, about seven times at least. And those are, you know, the most egregious cases, let me just say. Uh, meanwhile, I didn't get a chance to get into some some of these other stories. The perils of manifest globalism, uh, high-level FBI agents discussing an insurance policy to start Trump, stop Trump from winning the election, saying we can't take that risk. Uh, reporting on what the EU is th- has been threatening the U.S. more and more, uh, and one of the clear signs of this uh, was in the Wall Street Journal where they were saying, you can't tax you know, at that low of a rate because it's going to, I've, I've already covered that, but we've got that story. The U.S. is a partner to bloodshed, says Islamic Antichrist Kingpin. Uh, recap Erdogan, this guy's, oh boy, this is going to be, he's going to be a problem. And Jerusalem Declaration is sparking talk of a third temple, which, as I told you, is what has to happen. Other stories, humans will worship an uh, artificial intelligence messiah, a god-robot religion expected is expected to boom. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is just some of the stories. Now, also, Earth's mysterious hum recorded underwater for the first time. There is a mystery object that the U.K. telegraphed is recording could be an alien spacecraft. They're actually saying that. The Pope has said, don't argue with the devil. He's much more intelligent. Oh, okay. Possessed teen undergoes, so you can't argue with intelligent people, even if they've been indoctrinated, I suppose. Possessed teen undergoes violent exorcism, and the Antichrist movement is here. A growing number of Americans say Christmas is not a religious holiday. 
And we've got a few more stories on Soros and the EU superstate. But, folks, I'll tell you what, that's about all we can do. I'm about to, <laughs> I'm about to run out of talking uh, ability here uh, after this long of a time. But I appreciate you sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, I tell you, is that not some news or what? Did that not tie things together? So uh, just absolutely insane some of these things that are going on here. But uh, you can see what's happening. You really can. And it's all connected. That's the thing. That is the absolute thing. So uh, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. You can, like I said, come to Conservative Focus and read these articles. You can go to Stitcher to pick up the rest of the show or to pick up other shows. And also you can go to... Uh, 